0: to a brand new episode of Kellen's Petty Talk Show. Apologize for another lengthy lull in between episodes, but my Roadcaster Pro podcasting board took a dump on me, and while I was waiting for it to be repaired, I was notified that it was unfixable. Luckily, I had an audio box that I can manage for this episode. However, this box seems to have some audio issues of its own and from time to time has loud feedback that can be picked up through the headphones and unfortunately in the recording. Luckily, there wasn't much of that that ended up in this episode, Although at the very end of the episode, when Jim was giving his social media handles for you all to follow, there was an issue with his audio. So I'm going to tell you his handles now. Please go follow him and support what he does. He's one of the greatest people I've had the great fortune of meeting and being in the presence of while being out here in L.A. He's done so much for cinema and cinephiles alike. So if you're into what he does, be sure to go follow him on Instagram at Cinematic Void. Check out his Cinematic Void podcast, which can be found on most audio platforms, including Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, Check out his upcoming schedule on AmericanCinemaTech.com. His screenings happen on Monday nights. So be sure to grab tickets for Maniac Cop 2, Invasion USA with Chuck Norris, and The French Connection, as well as some of the Italian horror screenings he will be showing all month of January for his annual January Giallo series. Without further ado, it's time for a new episode. Be sure to follow the podcast Instagram at Callan's Petty Talk Show to stay up to date on all the new guest announcements. Sit back, relax, and enter. The cinematic void. Not sure if you were aware, the other podcasts don't compare. Tell your mom if she's too busy to literally stop what she's doing. I need all ears on me as I interview legends for thee. Grab your friends, your dog, and your fish. It's time to rip a new episode for the kids. So sit back, and relax, and enjoy the show, welcome to Kellen's Petty Talk Show,
1: sit back, and relax, and enjoy the show, welcome
2: to
3: Kellen's Petty Talk Show. We're recording the first Void podcast since like September, really? Really. Because we've just been busy and we have a night flight episode recorded probably back in like July that oh, cool. like, that we just never finished. We even recorded a new intro for it, like maybe back in October. Yeah. And then just like, I didn't push them to get like that from him. And then it just sat. <laughs> are, you, are you shelving it or are you going to eventually put it out? Uh, we're going to put it out. We're going to record a new intro for it where it's just like, hey, here's this night flight episode. Corbom- yeah. Like july here you go and then we're gonna do our year up year wrap up one
0: oh yeah that one's always fun i love your podcast i think it's i think it's wonderful thank yeah, you do a good job on there um, and that's just the the cinematic void podcast right
3: correct okay which was just easier to do it'd be better if we did talk about movies
0: yeah right is that just spotify apple music or where can people find that
3: it's it's everywhere everywhere i'm sure I'm um, but the yeah, it's on Apple and Spotify. It goes up on YouTube. It's whatever motherfucker. It was on Facebook and Facebook did <laughs> podcast for like a week.
0: <laughs> oh, I kind of remember that actually. That's funny. That was a couple years ago, right?
3: Yeah, well, I think it was during the pandemic they started. So I just yeah. put the RSS feed on it, and then like they're like, "Oh, we're not doing this anymore." I'm like, "Yeah, just whatever. gave up on it." <laughs> yeah, they, they just gave up. It wasn't meta enough. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs>
0: No, but I wanted to start by saying congrats on everything you've accomplished this year. Um, in November, you had a really great retrospective on Jonathan Kaplan's work, and you got to show three of his greatest movies, Truck Turner, School Teachers, and Over the Edge, which is my personal favorite. How did that idea come about?
3: Well, it, it actually started before the pandemic because um, the great character actor Dick Miller had passed away, and we talked about yeah. doing like a Dick Miller retrospective, which... Didn't happen for a variety of reasons, but I talked to John Davison on the phone, who's a long time, you know, New World producer. He produced Piranha, with Joe Dante went on to do RoboCop, that kind of stuff. And I think he's one of the honchos over at Trailers from Hell. And he, at some point, had struck a bunch of new 35 millimeter prints of a bunch of things, or a bunch of films that he liked from New World and some of the AIP stuff. And he had done a bunch of movies that Dick was in. Like, you know, rock and roll high school and of course piranha and Hollywood Boulevard. And when we were talking to him, he's like, Well, I also got one of Truck Turner. And if you ever show Jonathan Kaplan come out, I'm like, Oh, that'd be really cool. And then <laughs> the world shut down. So didn't think about it. And yeah. he he was talking to a, one of the other programmers at the American tech my colleague Chris Lemire, about something else. And he had mentioned to Chris this Truck Turner print. And Chris is like, oh, ah yeah, you know would that be something you'd be interested in and i'm like yeah so i think they floated around a couple of different times i think they maybe talked about trying for beyond fest and that just didn't happen for a variety of reasons mm-hmm. and then they came back and i was like yeah let's do truck turner and maybe we can do a little jonathan kaplan retrospective and the reason why it was only three movies instead of four i already had a vacation booked in november so i was already out uh, on monday
0: yeah that makes sense
3: so I think John only pitched um, student uh, the student teachers and Truck Turner. Yeah. And I was like, well, if we're gonna do this, we might as well do it over the edge. And like, yeah. and John was like, well, I'll get Tim to loan out his Tim Hunter, the screenwriter's personal print of it. Yeah. So we had like three asks from the academy, and like when you book prints from the academy, it takes a little time, and sometimes they have a limit on how many things they can loan out any yeah. given month. But we had to like, you know, John, Jonathan and John had to sign off of, on, on those film prints. And um, mm-hmm. Roger Corman actually had to sign off on student teachers. And John's like, you got to do this early. Make sure Roger signs off on it. That's hilarious. So it, was pretty, it was actually pretty quickly put together. And like, you know, I was also kind of like the idea of doing like a long form Q&A with someone over a series of films, because like the way I normally do it, it's just like I have a guest. Mm-hmm. And then, you know previously did knowing weekly screenings like you know i might have another the same guest back maybe a year or two later but i've never done like three back to back to back like that especially on different films throughout their career and obviously this was focused on the 70s yeah particularly so but we got to see jonathan at like the beginning of his career Mm kind of of the 70s the middle and then at the very end when we got to over the edge Mm -hmm.
0: such a great like every every panel was so great and you know they were lengthy but they're very insightful and he he's just a great speaker and you know so are you i mean you you asked really good questions but uh yeah i learned a lot of stuff about those films i hadn't known and i actually i hadn't seen truck turner or uh, student teachers before i've only seen over the edge and i think that was the first time i got to see that on the big screen which was awesome yeah all, all all the crowds were pretty packed too
3: yeah the nice. the one i was... The one I was honestly worried about and kind of knew would be the lesser crowd was going to be student teachers. And that's yeah. something I found out just since the beginning of Cinematic Void. Sex comedies and sexploitation or anything like that. People always talk about, like, yeah, I really want to see those movies. But God damn it, they will not come out for them.
0: Unless it's like Porky's.
3: <laughs> well, you know, Porky's is kind of like not really the worst one. It's like... Out of all those movies, it's probably aged the worst. If you think about it, would you say I, that? I haven't seen it in like five years, but I mean, there, there's some racial stuff in there that oh. does not really, it's not really feel good. You yeah. know, whereas a lot of the ones are just like, you know, yeah, they're exploitive, but they're kind of fun. And that one is, just like there's there's just something a little bit kind of darker about that one. Same with Revenge of the Nerds, and well, you yeah. we know. what that that one is very obvious as why it's Yeah, weird. there's
0: some poor poor taste decisions for sure.
3: Very much. But, you know, but as I was saying on the regulars, you know, sex comedy sex exploitation just doesn't I've never had much success with them.
0: Yeah, no and, for sure.
3: And I knew going in student teachers was going to be the one that might, you know, suffer at least ticket sale why. But, you know, people came out for it and like, you know, enjoyed it. I know it was, it's kind of interesting to watch that movie when you under, watch it under the, you know, what Cor- Roger Corman was doing as, you know, with New World at the time. And Jonathan even said it, it's like, you know, all these movies of this kind of ilk were empowering the women while also being very exploitive. Yeah. It's like you can have a strong female character, they just had to be naked or whatever he said during the QA.
0: No, definitely. But I feel like that's what's so cool about the fact that you showed three of his films in a row because that's what made people come out, I feel like, because they're like, oh, okay, I love Over the Edge. Might as well come check out some of the earlier stuff that I can't find anywhere else. Like student teachers, you can't even really see anywhere. There's like no. a really shitty YouTube thing or something that's on the internet, but you can't even really watch it.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, Shout Factory controls all those new world titles. And like, you know... Yeah. it. When I was prepping for the q and I was able to see Night Call Nurses, which was his first movie, but like yeah. student teachers were available unless you went through nefarious ways of watching it and probably getting viruses on your computer or whatever.
0: Yeah, which is never fun. <laughs> well,
3: and I'm going to say this, like watching student teachers at home, I was like, yeah, this movie's okay. Watching it in a the theater with a the crowd changed it for me. I was like, wow, this is better, you know? Yeah. No, which definitely. is like presentation makes a hell of a lot of difference for a movie.
0: No, for sure. Truck Turner was an explosive movie too. I, I couldn't believe how much I love that one.
3: Oh, t- Truck Turner! Like I saw it many years ago um, before I moved to LA, early 2000s. I I lived on the East Coast. I was from the Baltimore area, yeah. Man. And I used to drive up to kind of New Jersey to Exhume Films, who are still around. And it's kind of funny because one of the guys from Exum Films, Harry Guerrero, is a print collector, and I bought a lot of prints from him. So I've kind of borrowed prints that I've seen him screen like 20 years ago and play him again, which is just kind of surreal. But yeah. the first time I saw a truck turner was on a double feature with, I think Foxy was it? Was it was either coffee or Foxy Brown. I, my memory's a little hazy on it, but like it wasn't, that print wasn't nowhere near as good as what we watched because oh, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that one's like a print from the seventies. It was faded, all that. But seeing the print that John Jonathan or yeah John Davison had restruck, yeah, which like it was amazing. It and especially because that I think that and student teachers had never played in the theater. They just played it at the lab to kind of check them, and wow. that was it. That's crazy.
0: Truck Turner hasn't played at the theater. No, well that wow. print.
3: Truck yeah. Turner's definitely played around, but like, yeah, it's it, it's. Kind of my favorite black movie because it's just fun. Isaac Hayes is great in it. Kota yeah. is a good sibling. Michelle Nichols, like it's it's just it's a fucking incredible film. It's got yeah. action, it's humor, has a really kick ass <laughs> score by Isaac Hayes. It's just like what else could you want in a movie? <laughs> it's
0: got literally everything. It's the complete package. Yeah. It was super funny too. I did like that. Uh but let's promote what you've got going on this month in December. So I don't remember you said something like it it was like four movies that sort of take place during the holidays. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, that's
3: kind of how I described it. (laughs) As a programmer, I run into two major problems a year. October Halloween season and December Christmas season. And the reason why is because, you know, there's a lot of staples out there. Yeah. Which means that a lot of theaters are going to play these very specific movies every year, no matter what. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense for me to try to play them. So I have to go outside the box. Like, you know, I love Black Christmas and Silent Night, and Deadly Night, but that's that's the new Bevs. Like they're gonna play that every year. Every year, yeah. And like I, you know, there's no there's no point in doing it. So it's like, okay, what can I do to make something of my own? And like when I was doing my December lineup, I had a completely different lineup that ended up big. Be- than from what ended up being actually programmed. And it was just like kept on running the problems with like films not being available or that kind of stuff. But once I kind of figured out like, ah, oh, I'm going to do something more action oriented. I just kind of leaned into it. So it's like, you know, for those who want to know the lineup, we just, you know, this past Monday or depending on when you listen to the podcast on December tw- or December 5th, 2022, we showed the silent partner, and then this upcoming week, which is the 12th, I'm going to be showing Maniac Cop 2, and then following that up on the 19th with Invasion USA, because nothing says Christmas like Chuck Norris, <laughs> and then the, the day after Christmas, The French Connection.
0: Which, that, that's what's so unfortunate. I told you this the other day. Uh, I have to miss the first three of them, which stinks. I had a, my friend's comedy show was the other night and I, I decided to do that. And the, uh, maniac cop, I have the frigging new Bev double feature, which yeah. honestly I'd, I would much rather go to maniac cop, but I've already told somebody I was going to that. And then invasion, I'm out of town. Um, but French connection, my mom's coming, and it's gonna be her first time going to one of your screenings. And I'm really stoked. So we're going to go to that one for sure.
3: Well, I'll try not to swear as much since your mom's going to be there.
0: Swear it twice as much, please.
3: Okay. Well, then I'll do it <laughs> four times as much. There we
0: go. <laughs> um and then you got the january giallo which i kind of forgot the titles for that but i know you're doing like a you're opening it with a double feature right
3: uh no just all singles it's all los Feliz three oh, okay the january giallo which is i'd say by far the most popular series i do every year and it's grown and then you know it's also something i work on that out with venues outside of los angeles yeah which is that started this year and like the it was also how I ended up getting a monthly slot at the Los Feliz 3 because when I was like, hey, I want to do January Giallo and like it didn't it didn't make sense to do a marathon at the Arrow Theater. Yeah. Which Santa Monica, which is one of the sister theaters, uh, the American Cinematheque runs and the Egyptian wasn't going to be ready by that point. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know. Do I do one? Do I do a couple? You know, days. And I think it came down to like they had the Monday slot because they had tried I guess kind of like different theme Mondays for a little bit. Yeah. And then they're like, "Well, why don't you just do January G L on the Mondays?" And I was like, "That's fine." And it's like, you know, <laughs> it, it's like doing a marathon except it's spread out over like five days, and you have a week to think about it. Kind of. Were you,
0: were you worried when you were told you were going to be doing Mondays? Did you think it was going to work out?
3: I, I thought i would I thought I'd be fine for January, like I had no plans to continue to do Mondays after it, yeah, but you know they, they did really well, obviously some do better, like you know, we started last year with um the creepers cut of Gary Argento's phenomena, yeah and of course that's gonna do well
0: I was there that, that was became, a great screening
3: that was, that was a lot of fun and then um we followed it up with the uh uh perfumed lady in black, which was a Technicolor Italian language print which was warped and going had started vinegar syndrome so I don't know how many more plays it's going to have on it before it's like in the dumpster but it was yeah. a real treat to be able to show that
0: what was the one we saw last year with like the guy in like the red cape or whatever
3: <laughs> red cape oh was it the the girl in room 2A
0: yes yeah that was a crazy one
3: I'm surprised you could pick out the red cape in the faded print <laughs>
0: yeah no, nah, it was it was great. Um, have you checked out any cool movies
3: lately? Lately, yeah, I have a big watch pile of Blu-rays. Um, I, the thing I can talk about that I saw recently is that um, I watched Travis Stevens' um, Wounded Fawn, which I like. Travis, Travis is a friend, but like it's, I thought it was a really well done kind of like I don't want to use art house, but for lack of a better term, I think it's like it's a great little art horror movie. Mm-hmm. And it kind of hits hits the buttons. I think in my like little letterbox review I it, did, it's like you know there's moments of like Stan Brackage, Evil Dead Two, kind of like the night Evelyn came out of the grave. If you want to go in that giallo realm, mm-hmm. um, you know a little bit of Frank Henelotter's brain damage. Oh, fuck, I love that like, movie. And I guess the other thing is like if and this might be a spoiler for some people, but the way I started is like, as if. You've seen Maniac in um, Don't Go in the House, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's Maniac. But you know how the ending... Sorry, I'm spoiling this, but the movie's fucking 40 years old. <laughs> it's so, so old. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. So if you don't know the ending of Maniac, that's your problem, not mine. Anyway, the ending <laughs> of Maniac has like, you know, Frank Zito played by the wonderful Joe Spinell, had scalped all these women, put their heads on the mannequins, and all of a sudden the mannequins become alive and they start killing him. It's like all the women he had killed yeah. start killing him. So my, pre- my way that I looked at Wound of Fawn is like, what if that scene was the beginning of the movie? And it just got a whole lot weirder. Oh, I love that. So uh, I, I really enjoyed that movie. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else I watched recently that's like, yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff I've been watching has been like the stuff I've been screening, or like I've been watching movies like two or three times that I'm screening if I'm doing Q and A's because I'm like I'm doing a lot of prep, so it's like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna watch Changeling again,
0: Change, yeah. Changeling was a that was a phenomenal screening. Um, did you check out anything good at Beyond Fest that you liked?
3: Uh, what did I get at Beyond Fest? I saw Christmas Bloody Christmas. I think oh, it was yeah. the only movie I sat through. I wanted to actually sit through A Woman to but like it was at the arrow it's like i was being lazy little angelino and decided to say i ain't driving to santa monica
0: yeah (laughs) christmas bloody christmas was fun it was like terminator santa kind of thing
3: i enjoyed it i mean i just i like the fact that like you know companies like rlj entertainment will take a chance and like front all the money money, yeah just put money into something that insane like it's kind of like back to like the direct of the video direct to video like horror or like kind of Vidmark or something like that where you yeah. would get these insane movies that might have a very small theatrical one but run but then they get to live forever in home video and i guess like heading the shutter a lot of people still use shutter so i think you know yeah. it's kind of the same premise but maybe not because i don't know i have opinions on streaming but yeah
0: I just I just up my Shutter and only because when October comes around, there's always those new titles you got. You just got to see, but I don't know. Shutter can be kind of annoying because a lot of times they don't update it too often, and it's just you're left with the same old shit. But
3: yeah. I, mean, I, I I have AMC Plus, which includes like the Sundance Channel and AMC cool. Shutter and all that, so you get a little more variety. But like I'll be honest, like half the time I forget I have it, so I'm just like wasting ten bucks a month.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so you grew up in Maryland, land mm-hmm. of the John Waters filth. What was it like yep. growing up there?
3: I mean, I was, I was like, I I lived in a town called Aberdeen, Maryland, which was like 30, maybe 35 minutes outside of Baltimore city. It was definitely the, the suburbs, like most famous person that ever came out of Aberdeen. Well, there's two, it's, um, Cal Ripken Jr. Who's a baseball player for those who know that shit. Yeah. He, he He has the longest like games played streak ever. That's his claim to fame. Nice. And um, Frank Zappa was a allegedly from Aberdeen, Maryland.
0: Oh, really? But, okay.
3: So it, it's kind of a small town. Like where I lived That was even outside of Aberdeen. I kind of lived in between two towns. There's a town called Hab- Habity Grace, which is by the water, which is a really cool town. Uh-huh. And then there's Aberdeen, it's more landlocked and, you know, there's nice parts, there's dumpy parts, whatever. But yeah, it's, you know, growing up in Maryland was. You know you had to go to the city to learn stuff or like you know i mean i got I had not my learn stuff I mean like you know there was there wasn't much there, like the closest yeah. thing we had culturally was two army bases,
0: really, okay, so it was like kind of a ghost town
3: eh, it wasn't it was just a very like you know, and like one of those bases was like primarily a like a lab like it, it one of the bases was the home of l s d testing, really. Yeah, so wow. I'm sure I, you're going to get like flagged by the FBI by this podcast now, <laughs>
0: but um speaking of Maryland you hosted an incredible 35 millimeter original print screening of the Blair Witch Project at the start of the summer. I got
3: to see that. That was wonderful. Um That, that was that was harder than you would think to pull off because you would think Lionsgate, well, I guess it's Artisan, Lionsgate, uh, Artisan, yeah. which is for those who want to get in film programming, is learning where every company has been devoured and ended up and where those rights went. But anyway, so it, it took a while to like convince Lionsgate that they actually had a 35 millimeter print of it, even though I kept seeing its screenings around the country. Yeah, and I'm like, come on now. And then like they sent the print like they, I think I talked about an in the intro. They sent the print to, directly to the theater, and no one was there. And normally, they're supposed to send it to our office. Yeah, so nick who i do the cinematic Boy podcast with who i've known for like 25 26 i don't know how many fucking years at this point yeah like he's traffic he had to drive this place called lebec california which is two and a half hours away
0: yeah i remember that okay yeah
3: where he luckily luckily the print had landed down so he had enough time to go get the print and basically make a five-hour round trip so it could play that night
0: that's crazy and he got back just in time
3: yeah he it was just in time um I did a Q and a with Eduardo Sanchez, one of the directors, and like, yeah, oh, there's some weird stuff with that screening like the first time I recorded with Ed zoomed in record, yeah. like we heard like recording thing and just like nothing. It was like some weird fluke, oh yeah, because you got you had to do it twice, right? I had to do it twice, and he was kind enough to yeah. do it again. And you know I probably the first Q and A was a little better little more organic because then i think yeah. the second one, i was concentrating on making sure we hit the things he talked about in the first one yeah to, that's varying, a bummer. to varying degrees of success but like you know it, it was it, i still think it was a good q a it was you know it was a fun event
0: no it was great i'm actually curious did you try to get heather by any chance
3: um i had a lot of people ask and i was you know i've heard various yeah, <laughs> I've I've heard stories where like maybe it would not be advisable. I don't know. I've heard a mixed bag of things. I
0: don't think so. she wants to even talk about it anymore. Honestly,
3: well, that might also be that too. But it's just like I had a few people ask, and I had a few people say like, "Yeah, probably not." So it's just like, yeah. At a certain point, like I do like doing Q and As, and I also hate doing them because then it's like if I just want to watch a movie yeah I it's like a whole that. to do
0: mm-hmm. but yeah i have her it's... on facebook and i noticed she like changed her name and everything so
3: yeah i i heard a bunch of things like she changed her name I, doesn't she sell weed now or she's like a works on like a
0: that was like 10 years ago i don't know if she still does that i know that, that was definitely a while ago well i guess i'm not on the polls for that yeah she probably still does though <laughs> <laughs> um you grew up near a cemetery Uh, Night of the Living Dead sparked your interest for filmmaking in a major way. Uh, What about it did you find so invigorating?
3: I think it was because when you watch Night of the Living Dead, and this is no disrespect because it was made by people who were outside the film industry but had equipment or access to equipment and ideas, you could kind of see the skeleton and nuts and bolts of how it was made. Yeah. Because when you watch, you know, grow up watching Hollywood movies, like when I was a kid, the things that were like playing constantly was like Star Wars or Indiana Jones or like Disney cartoons or like, you know, big, the things I was seeing as a kid were very well polished studio movies. Yeah. And, you kind of buy into the you know the movie making magic a little bit more because you don't see you're not really looking at the strings or whatever your imagination takes over, and with Night of Living Dead it didn't have the option to like you know the Hollywood polish, so you could see the rough edges. However, there's just something about that movie that's utterly terrifying because it feels fucking real, and because it's on a, made on a level that isn't comparative to like you know studio film it's just, it feels a lot realer because it's like, you know, that cemetery looked like many cemeteries I'd seen as a kid, yeah. you know, it's rural. Like, you know, I've seen farmland and like farmhouses that look like that. And it's just like, it just, I think just, it just hit a lot harder because like, you know, there's, because it wasn't glossy, it felt more real. Yeah that's why it really stuck with me and it, it just how it interests me in filmmaking is because then you can kind of see how it's made. You kind of become conscious of like camera placement and like editing and yeah. like, you know, acting and performances and that kind of stuff. So it was just like by not being this like megalith of a film that's only set out to entertain and just rot your brain, mm-hmm. you have to engage with and by engaging with it, you can start kind of understanding what it takes to make a film.
0: Yeah, it's definitely got a very claustrophobic atmosphere. You kind of feel like you're trapped there while watching it, which definitely I mean, adds to it.
3: I mean, having gone to enough family events as a kid and you feel like you're trapped in a house, Like yeah. you know, it, it's very relatable.
0: Right. <laughs> and we, we can't forget about Rita's. Did you go to Rita's growing up? Italian yeah. ice?
3: No, I didn't really. I, I've been to Rita's, but it wasn't like a regular thing. We oh, okay. The closest thing I had to me was a place called the Arctic Circle. Okay which was, it wasn't like Italian ice. It was just ice cream and like fries and hot dogs and all kinds of shit. But like it was next to a mini golf course and there was a drive in theater that used to be across the street from it.
0: It was. So would you say Night of living dead was what pretty much sparked your interest in film or was there something else that came a little earlier?
3: Um, I think that's what sparked my interest in, you know, looking at filmmaking and film in general as more of a obsession than necessarily a, um, uh, just something you watch because you know a lot of people just watch movies it's like clearly because you know avatar has made like how many billions or zillions of fucking dollars i've still never seen avatar but like <laughs> and that, that's not a knock it's just like i think james cameron's a great filmmaker probably yeah. one of the best I've ever live i just i don't give a shit about giant smurfs yeah <laughs> and and i i know the movie's probably not bad but it's just like i it's okay it, I, I can't, inv- I don't, I don't have time to invest in that kind of stuff. And it's kind of why I'll be snarky about Marvel movies. I don't really fault anyone that like loves superhero movies now and like shared universe. But like, I saw Iron Man. And I was like like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then like, I moved out here and I just disengaged from like, I wasn't going yeah. to see movies for a while. So by the time I start seeing new movies again, there's like Marvel had like fucking 15 movies at this point. And it's like, I'm not going to go back. And you know, they're all like three hours long. Yeah, they're not good. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know people love them, and I don't want to... I mean, I'll shit on them, but it's just like... Letting...
0: There's a couple that sneak in here and there that are decent, but
3: lately, the like last five
0: years have been awful. I can't I can't get behind much of any of it, honestly.
3: Oh, yeah, I just... I don't have time to invest in it, and I don't want to have time to invest in it. There, there's movies I really want to see that I still haven't watched. Exactly. So it's like I'm, I'm not going to take... You know, two to three hours out of my day to watch something that I'm not really into at this point. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like. Oh, what was the original question? Because I feel like I detoured way off of it.
0: No, you were just, it was about how'd you first fall in love with movies and say. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, I should get back to that. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Day Living Day kind of opened it to me. And like, you know, I was, you know, at the age where like, you know, Sci Fi Channel, which. Before it got changed to SYFY, was still S-C-I-F-I, and they would play a lot of movies like you know Universal titles. Like that's where I first saw video drum. I think no, I might have saw video drum one eight eight, but like I saw things like Return, of Living Dead, and Killer Clowns, and you know being in night living dead and like realizing there's a whole genre of horror and you could go find anything you want at a video store. So you become obsessed because you want to see more and you want to discover things. So Night living dead was like, you know, just the, the doorway to go discover more shit. Mm -hmm. So were your parents big moviegoers? I went to the movies with my dad a lot. Like I never he, he I remember he took me out of school twice specifically to go see Terminator two and the Crow. Oh hell yeah. They, they didn't want to go like he just wanted to go to a matinee because it was cheaper. So mm. though it was just better to take me out of school and go see a matinee than yeah. go try to fight a like a prime time crowd.
0: I begged my dad to pretty much take me to every bad movie growing up. Like not, not bad as an awful, but like bad as an in inappropriate. <laughs> like all all the horror movies, all the sex comedies, like anything you could think of, I was seeing probably before age 10.
3: That's pretty impressive. I there was a movie theater, it was like I have what number it was in Beards Hill, which is in Aberdeen. And yeah. since years later, there's a new movie theater there, but it's one of those like dine and watch things. Yeah. But when I was a kid, my parents would drop me off and buy me a ticket. To anything, like R-rated shit, and then just go in and no one was like fucking um (laughs) paying attention. Like I saw so many R-rated movies. I remember seeing Army of Darkness, which I know is kind of a soft R, but like saw Rams Dracula. I saw Candyman, I saw all kinds of shit at like 13, 14. I had no business being in.
0: That's so sick. I
3: didn't care. And it's like, you didn't even have to do the whole like buy a ticket for Beethoven and then sneak into like from dusk to dawn move or whatever. They, you just, you're, as long as an adult bought your ticket, they did not give a fuck.
0: <laughs> I got kicked out for doing that once. I snuck I'll into it. Yeah. Like I bought like a, like a, a romance movie with a friend and then we went into like an R rated hard, hard R comedy and they came in and kicked us out during the previews. The movie didn't even get on yet. am like,
3: come on. Well, they probably knew how many tickets sold for the horror, hard R movie.
4: Yeah, your,
3: your strategy should have actually been is wait for the credits to get or the trailers to get by and then go in. Probably, the, you you jumped the gun. You were you were too impatient. So, <laughs> uh, so
0: what's the movie that um or what are some other movies that you would say catapulted you into your love for horror besides *Another Living Dead*? Uh...
3: Let's see, that's a good question, and I wish I had an answer to think of, but, like, I mean, I guess, like, you know, getting into, like, more specific, like, art tours of, like, you know, stuff like, you know, John Carpenter, David Cronenberg, or, like, Dario Argento, or Lucio Fulci, like, being able to follow directors was kind of what got me into it, because it's like, wow, George Romero made Night of the Living Dead, and he also made Dawn of the Dead. And he made Day that mm-hmm. What else did he make that didn't have a zombie in it? Oh, there's this movie, Martin. Holy Martin. shit, that's too. And like yeah. you know, I mean, I saw, I rented Suspiria, which was my first Argento movie, and I was like, well, this is really cool. And yeah, then yeah. someone loaned me a bootleg because that's how you had to watch things in the '90s if there wasn't uncut US VHS. You yeah. have to get either buy a bootleg or someone would like loan you their bootlegs. So I saw. <laughs> I saw a Tenebrae, which was on a probably a third or fourth generation VHS dupe that was taken from the Japanese Laserdiscs. So it was the only way to see it on cut, but on the flip side, it's definitely been duped down several generations from other VHS collectors. And there's burned in subtitles because all Japanese LaserDiscs had burned-in subtitles. That sucks. And if you had any kind of pubic hair in a Japanese, like, in a Japanese release of a horror movie, they did a thing called optical censoring. Where it's, like, blinding <laughs> white, if you see, like, cannibal holocaust, like, the the Japanese laser version, like, anytime there's, like, it's not really, like, the genitals, it's the pubic hair they don't like, so, like, just blinding <laughs> white shooting out of everyone's crotch because they're trying to, like, blur out <laughs> the pubic hair.
0: What? I've never heard of that. That's awesome. I
3: mean... <laughs> How old are you?
0: Uh I'm almost twenty-seven.
3: Okay. So you definitely you missed the, the heyday of like having to watch really shitty versions of awesome movies.
0: Not really. I mean, I used to buy bootlegs at our flea market back in the day in Buffalo, but I know what oh, you're oh, talking yeah. about. I didn't watch Laserdisc. I definitely was past that.
3: Yeah. Um yeah, I guess you probably would have something, But like, you know, there was a there's a long period where like, you know, you the only way you could see something was a bootleg and then like when Anchor Bay kind of picked things up, and then, like, you know, you had Synapse early on, and you eventually had Blue Underground and Severin and that kind of stuff, where like you could actually have things that look good. Yeah. Which was, you know, incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did you attend film school? I went to Towson University, which probably isn't, you know, the hotbed of film schools, but. Okay. Um, you know, for year for a few years after I graduated high school, I went to a community college and just kind of dicked around. They had a what they called <laughs> math communications department, yeah. where like the they didn't do film, but they, well, they had a history of film class, but it's mostly like television, radio, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was the primary focus. Mm-hmm. So I was there for a while and like you know, failing math classes because like I just didn't feel like going or. Yeah. Really bad teachers. Like, you know, I don't want to knock community colleges, but like the quality wasn't there. Yeah. So when I transferred to Towson, I had a friend of mine named Jess Morgan who I knew through like various punk rock avenues, like, you should go to Towson, take film there. And I was like, okay, maybe. Like, you know, I was thinking like maybe I should go to one of the big film schools, and it's like probably can't afford that. Where Towson is affordable, and if my parents are going to like help pay for it, that's what it should be. You know, yeah, it was. So I went to Towson. I went with him. We were going to do all these film projects, but like when I got to Towson, like a you know a real college, not trying to not community college, but uh, you know there, maybe not as much now. But I noticed there's a quality difference between teachers there. And there's, you know, there was some really good teachers at um my community college, but like, just overall level, like just basic classes, people will be like, you know, I when I I had to take a math class because I kept fucking failing math in community college. It was like some inter- intermediate algebra, and it's like shit that I've never used since. Mm-hmm. So I asked my like advisor, it's like, what's the easiest math class? She's like, take take consumer math. It's the one the jocks take. I was like, okay. <laughs> so that's what I did. But like the guy who taught it was like incredible. Like he would show you how to do a problem. And if you saw someone struggling, it's like, okay, that doesn't work for you. Let me show you another way that might make sense to you. And I, I would, love that. I, But I would see constantly at mm-hmm. this college, like just, you know, basic fucking classes. And even the film classes, like if someone was like, well, you know, wasn't getting like flatbed editing or whatever. Like it's like, well, you could do this but here's another way you can learn the approach so it's like you know no one would obviously there's rigid things for when you're doing film and you know you shooting on film and lighting film and stuff like that but like there was enough leeway where it's like if you don't learn a specific way you can there's opportunities to learn other ways Mm -hmm. and that's that's my main takeaway from college
0: yeah i mean those are the best teachers the ones that actually give an effort but actually care and they're like relatable and nice. You know, I've had some really shitty ones too.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I like, I like film school. The one thing I learned when I moved out here is that everyone is very anti film school. Yeah. Or at least for a minute, it's like, you went to film school, forget everything you learn. (laughs) Yeah, I know how to make a movie. And then like I, when I first moved out here, like I did a lot of freelance, like stuff on people's short films and, jesus fucking christ but like yeah. <laughs> and i definitely dealt with a lot of people it's like yeah you, you know i know how to do this like forget what you learn film school and it's like oh really forget coverage forget yeah. the fucking like, like the, the basics <laughs> the basics like you know how to light you know breaking eye line. like yeah the 180 rule jesus christ like you know there's still even if you don't go to film school there's fundamentals you need to do to make a watchable yeah. film and exactly. like as soon as I heard, like, ah, you don't need film school, I already know everything, it's, like, because a lot of people think they watch movies, and, like, as you probably know, because you've made films, yeah. you, once you know, understand, like, you know, editing and camera and stuff, you watch movies differently. Exactly. And clearly, none of these fucking people actually paid attention to watching movies.
0: Yeah, and honestly, you get better by making movies and making movies and, and constantly making movies. <laughs> you know, your yeah. first, every director's first movie. I mean, not, not every, but, like, their are really early films, whether it's a feature or not, aren't usually as strong as what comes later, you know? So they always end up figuring out new methods, and they just perfect their craft over time, but...
3: Yeah, unless you're, like, Charles Lawton, who only got to make one movie, like, and yeah. make a masterpiece, like, you know... True, I feel like people who always hold Citizen Kane as like the greatest movie ever. It's like, I, it it might be technically sound, but I think it's one of the most, I don't, I think it's a great movie. I think it's also one of the most least interesting Orson Welles movies because he had everything.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: The money hose was on. He had Greg Tolan as his DP. He had fucking Robert Wise as his editor. Like, of course, Citizen Kane's going to be a fucking masterpiece. Yeah, they had a perfect of course team. Well. But like, I kind of enjoy like when he got weird, like Mr. Arkadon and like things where it took him like 10 years to finish because he kept running out of money and then had to go like, yeah do some bullshit like wine commercial just to have so you take that money and put it back into this movie yeah. i think that wells is more interesting and like rewarding the watch than say citizen kane for like the six on earth time
0: exactly rosebud um <laughs> <laughs> so you, you used to sell merch for bands and you used to play in bands right mm-hmm. what did you play
3: i was a vocalist
0: oh really okay
3: I, i'm gonna use the quotes here
0: hell yeah what was the band called
3: um, there's a few bands. There's one I did with Nick called spite which was like a punk hardcore, like fast hardcore band, lots of screamy. Shit. Um, that one, there's if you go on um Discogs, you can probably find that. It's a one sided seven inch, but you should probably find it for I'd say market value. It's never decreased in value, it didn't hit the dollar bin, it's still like, yeah, yeah, bucks. nice. So I'll take that. And that band also ended up on a compilation called Reality Number Four. There was a whole series of like kind of power violence bands, which if you don't know what it is, I'm not going to explain it. You can can go to Wikipedia and look it up. (laughs) But this label called Deep Six did a bunch of comps called Reality. And we were on Reality Number Four. So nice. And then I was in a kind of sludge metal band called Tar Pit. Which was kind of weird because there was like a hardcore band called Tar Pit. And one of the guys in the bandwidth did not want to change the name. I was like, can we just please change the fucking name? I know it's <laughs> stupid that there's a hardcore band called Tar Pit, but like it was, you know, yeah. they were my, they had been around longer and were way much more popular. And I was like, you know, we could probably stop shooting ourselves in the foot if we just changed your name it and it'd been okay. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah it's like, I, I was basically in bands since like maybe 16 to like, And he's like 28, and then like Uh, the last band I was in just kind of just folded, and it was like I don't know if I had the energy or like the want to do that again. Do you still go see bands? Do you like going to see shows? Occasionally, if it's not too much effort. Yeah, not for sure. I become an old man. It's like. You know, Nick and I, we we went, we were going to go to a show last weekend or last Friday, and we go and it's like one of these punk shows where it's like you have to ask for the address, and then like kind of look outside, and it's like no one's there, and it's just like do we even knock? Do we even try to go? We just that <laughs> bar and bullshit, and like let's just go to the fucking bar.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe it got canceled.
3: I mean, I don't know. It's like I saw like one punk dude, but like it's at LA, you're gonna see one punk dude walking by at some point.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so Well yeah, you sold merch though. Where what was that for? Was that just for random bands that you were friends with?
3: Oh, it was just the, it was my bands and like god it fucking sucked. Yeah. Like not a lot of money the, in that. I mean, you know, you, you want to make cool merch and then you think people are gonna buy it, but then like there's there's the reality of like getting stuff made versus how much you sell, especially when you have minimums like CDs or whatever. Exactly. It is just like, then you get stuck with it. And it's just like, yeah, you have cool merch, but no one gives a fuck. Yeah. It's like, what are you going to do with it? It's like, no one likes your band. You're not going to wear your cool t shirt. Yeah.
0: It's hard to break out. It really is.
3: I mean, it's kind of what I learned doing merch for Cinematic Void. I took the lessons, the hard lessons I learned for being in bands and just like, I just print what I need and a little over.
4: Yeah, exactly.
3: So it's like, I will run out of stuff, but at the same time, it's like, Autos print more when there's actual demand
0: yeah that's smart
3: Um, plus plus i don't have space to like have fucking a million shirts sitting around or like a bunch of boxes
0: (laughs) yeah uh when did you decide you wanted to move out to la and what was the deciding factor that pointed you in this direction
3: um i had so basically when i got out of college it took me a few years and i had on the said army base i talked about earlier i had gotten a job as a videographer editor as a contractor yeah which just reason why I have to say the distinction there's government workers there's military and there's contractors so I was a contractor had a you had a badge had a security clearance and I would do you know document field tests which I'm not going to get into but the other part of my job is always travel around because the base I worked on was always trying to recruit scientists because they did it like it was science-based so this was during the Bush administration and better believe the money hose was just fucking shooting everywhere. So like people were just pissing my money on like, Oh, we can just go to all these conferences. So I went to conferences across the country and document. And they spent like tons of money on like booths. It's like a, it's like a horror convention, but it's to recruit like scientists or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we document it, and we film interviews and shoot B roll. And just like, that was it. I got the, I traveled a lot. Yeah. But then, needless to say, when Bush, you know, left office and Obama came in, I they decided to clean a lot of things up because there was a lot of government workers who had just sat around and collected a paycheck and let contractors do all the jobs. Yeah. So they started coming back. It's like, why do we have this person here that's supposed to do this job, and then we've hired like two people to do the job for them. Maybe they should just do their job. So my contract ended. however, I was going to probably get offered a contract from another contracting company, but I didn't really like the. I actually liked the contracting company I worked for. They were pretty nice, you know, paid me well, that kind of stuff. So it came to the end and it's like, I was going to be jobless. I had a lot of money saved up and I just kind of wanted to change because like at that point in like 2008, 2009, like I wasn't in bands all the filmmaking stuff I had been doing had kind of like dried up a little bit. I think the last thing I might've did was um, for the spooky movie film festival in DC. Like I did a promo video, like this big elaborate zombie thing. Mm -hmm. And then when I was trying to do other projects after that, people were like, ah, you know, I, I got some other things going, like people weren't just as into it. So I was just like, wasn't feeling isolated, just feeling like maybe my time is up and like, I could see people changing. People were like settling into the like, getting married and like mm-hmm. white pick fence stuff and like, you know, just conforming yeah. to like, I didn't really feel that way. Mm-hmm. So I had a friend that was already living out in LA or not really LA, more like orange County. And she was like, you should just, you know, maybe move out here, just give it a try. And I was like, you know what? I had a ton of money. A contract contracting company was kind enough to lay me off so I could collect unemployment. So oh, I'd nice. have more income coming in. And then I had one big job, which funnily enough was in Long Beach. The last job I worked for the army was like filming a conference in Long Beach. Wow. And while I was there, I went and signed. I jumped on someone else's lease for a two bedroom apartment in Hollywood off of Argyle. Yeah. Which like at the top of the hill at Argyle, if you've been to LA and you've driven to the top of Argyle, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm wasting your time by telling you this information. So, yeah. And it was a big paycheck because, like, I was, you know, charging a freelance rate. And I was, like, you know, I think it was charging, like, 50 bucks an hour. So, it was, like, I got, like, three or four grand out of just working that weekend. Mm -hmm. And I just had a lot of money and, you know, packed up my car, packed up my records, um, got a bunch of binders, put my DVDs in, so, I could take them with me because uh, I was going to have room for all those boxes and just drove out to LA. Wow. Didn't have a job lined up or anything, but I had a place to live. I had a couple people I knew and, you know, figured just take a stab at it. Yeah. And realistically, I thought like maybe I could work on and go work at another military base or like, you know, work in corporate video and stuff like that because that's what I'd been doing. Yeah, I had right. no notion of like, oh, I'm just going to walk in and be a filmmaker kind of thing. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take a reasonable route. Yeah. And then I discovered the things that I did and got paid for on the East coast. People wanted to treat like internships out here, mm. at least at the time. So I'd see all these like, you know, must have own video system and own camera internship. I'm like, mm-hmm. how the fuck's that an internship? Right. So I, so I moved to L.A. and, you know, probably a year into it, it's like running out of money. No more. Yeah. And, and then it comes back. like like I, I say this a lot and i always got the feeling that a lot of people thought I was just going to like fail and come back, mm-hmm. which is the weird. It's like I don't really like talking in those terms, but like I kind of got the impression where like no one thought I would like make it or whatever, it which is fine. You. Yeah. And I just like, I didn't want to go back. So it's just like, I just did everything I could to not go back. I worked all kinds of shitty, like freelance stuff and like scrounge money and all that. Yeah. I mean, my parents helped me when I needed help, you know, of course, there's no shame in admitting that. No, not at all. And then just, you know, about three or four years in, and it was just like, I don't know if this is even worth it, but like, I don't know. I ended up, you know, becoming friendly with the people who ran beyond fest specifically christian park Mm -hmm. christian parks and was through him i said hey if you need any video stuff let me know and wasn't for year one of Beyond Fest, but year two i did a dummy drop reel and i did a couple other reels so i started doing video i think i also took photos so it's like i started helping out with the fest and by helping out the fest i ended up getting a job at the american Cinematheque. I was hired on as theater staff with the idea that I would do something else. But at the time it wasn't really structured like that. So I was just theater staff. So I like went from a well-paying, like, you know, videographer editor job back in Maryland to working like $9 an hour behind a concession stand. Yeah. Yeah. Which honestly wasn't humbling. It was kind of like nice, you know? Yeah. So I went through that. I don't know. I feel like I'm getting off your question.
0: <laughs> no, no, you're good. But I I was just wondering, like all these years later, do you still like living out here? I do and I don't. Yeah.
3: I think with a lot of people that live in LA, you have a love hate relationship. And absolutely. And it's like, you know, you know, there's different gauges of success, there's different gauges of stability and all that. And, you know, I if you listen to the podcast, I definitely talk about my mortality way more than a forty year old man should yeah but it's just like I do think like what's you know how long is it realistic to stay here? How long is it realistic to keep doing what I'm doing? yeah could I do what I'm doing somewhere else and be happier whatever you know mm-hmm. so i mean i I've been probably be in l a for another few years, but like I don't know if I would stay here forever or that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Do
0: you know where you'd want to go next if you have the, the option
3: i mean i' you know I've always liked kind of the Boston area, yeah it's like I don't know why I've always, like, you know, back in the early 2000s, I used to go to Salem, Massachusetts, all the time before it became, like, I guess the new Disneyland vacation resort. Yeah, it's or very whatever. touristy. <laughs> it, it's always been touristy, but, like, you know, when I was going to early 2000s, like, you could still kind of walk around. Now it's just, like, insanity yeah. on Halloween. like. you know i'm friends with Kay lynch who does the salem horror fest and she had to move the whole festival out of october because it was just impossible to book talent put them in hotels and that kind of stuff because yeah there's a billion fucking people there Mm -hmm. whose only interest is hocus pocus yeah totally seeing witches and not really understanding the fundamentals of what the salem witch trials were yeah but you know i i I don't know if that's where I'll end up, but, like, I do like the area. And, like, I've been to the Coolidge Theater, which is in Brookline, Mass. And I'm friends with Mark Anastasia, who's mm-hmm. the programmer there. And, like, I went there for Jane Ruggiella, and I just love that theater. And, like, yeah. I don't know. It's like if there's opportunities out there, I probably wouldn't hesitate to look there.
4: Yeah. I love the East Coast, too. <laughs> I hear you. I mean, um,
3: it's it, it, It's weird. Because, like, I moved away from the East Coast. is like, oh, it always feels like a black cloud. Because, like, you know, yeah. when I lived here, it's like, you know, I had choices, like, yeah, I could move to New York. I even toyed with moving directly to Salem, even though I had no idea what fucking job I would possibly work if I was there. Yeah. But I just felt like, you know, in L.A., it's going to be more expensive, but I thought there would be more opportunities on the mm-hmm. table.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, it took about a good eight, nine, ten years before, like, those opportunities really show themselves but mm-hmm. sometimes you gotta be patient
0: do you think you, you would get back into filmmaking if like a opportunity came up
3: uh, i i think so because i get asked this a lot like i you know the last two things i made it filmmaking wise you know one it's famous not because of anything i did but it's the you know i did a fake commercial in the wnuf halloween special the original one yeah and that was for my buddy chris Chris LaMartina, who's an excellent filmmaker, he also went to Towson, but like, you know, he's he's done extraordinary things on no budgets. And like, you know, he's made a lot of really great, clever films. And like, obviously, WNUF, I think him is writing partner and producing partner at the time, Jimmy George, that it was kind of in between film. They're like, well, we can just do this thousand dollar thing. And like when like and they just it exploded yeah and i was really happy that earlier this year i got to do like a early advanced screening of the sequel to wnf which is the out there halloween mega tape Mm -hmm. but you know back to the commercial i got the opportunity to do a commercial for that and then i the other thing i last thing i did i did a fake giallo christmas trailer for like one of the um, December Beyond Fest screenings, I think it was the year that um, Death Waltz had put out um, Silent Night, Deadly Night and um, Christmas Evil soundtracks and I just threw oh, cool. got a bunch of friends and made this trailer and just had it play in front of the movie and occasionally <laughs> I still dusted off for screenings but like that was the last time and like what happened when I made that is I realized I was making films in a very specific way which was like I had no money So I just figured out as as many ways to cut costs. I was like my own DP and I was going to be my own editor and I was directing. And I just had someone like, here, here's the boom mic, get sound. Like whoever could hold a boom mic, that was it. And then, you know, very cost effective, you know, you know, I was doing fake trailers really. So it's like, you know, it's very, you only need specific shots. You don't need the greatest performance. You just need performance that kind of hits. And when I had a realization that like, this is how I've just been making things for like the last couple of years and I'm not growing or advancing. That's like, that's why I kind of stepped away from filmmaking. Yeah. But I've had a few people now like say like, well, if you want to get back into it, you can probably have opportunities through cinematic void. And it's just like, yeah, I'd probably be, if I want to do fundraising or things like that, mm-hmm. I probably have more opportunities now, but I feel like I'm going to do it. If I'm going to do it, I have to really want to do it, and not mm-hmm. just like do it for the sake of I can. I can do it now. Exactly. I have to really want to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's never. It's I think about it here and there, but just nothing too serious. Where it's like, well, gotta start a Kickstarter and get some money now, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of
0: Christmas evil, I, I usually every year for Thanksgiving I like deliver pies for my friend Morgan, who's up in Sherman Oaks. Mm-hmm. and uh like the last couple of years i would deliver to lewis jackson from christmas evil the director yeah never got to meet him but she told me that she's like you know the one guy you're, you're delivering to is the guy who directed
3: christmas evil right i'm like what I think, so made, I think he only made two or maybe three movies i think one of them was a porn so <laughs> yeah that makes sense <laughs> but christmas evil is great
0: it's, it's so fun
3: my I friend think my favorite, like, of the Santa slashers is
0: process. it really?
3: It, it's just so weird, like the yeah. ending, like kind of like the the genuine, like the guy genuinely wants to be a good Santa Claus. And he just, <laughs> but he's not. <laughs> he's, he's just not. And I mean, I think the ending is what really sells it because it's like there, that ending is no business being in that movie, but because it yeah. is, it takes it from like Santa slasher to like. It transcends into something more amazing. I think it's probably one of the reasons why it's John Waters' favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. Oh, is it really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, if you get any of the Blu-rays or whatever, or any release of it, there's a commentary with Lewis Jackson and um, John Waters on it.
0: Really? Oh, man. I actually have the Blu-ray. I didn't even know that. I'm an idiot.
3: Yeah, if you have the Blu- if the Vinger Syndrome one, it's ported over from the old Troma one. So I'm
0: going to check that out. Um,
3: yeah and it's good commentary because john's very complimentary and like yeah he's awesome you
0: know, talks i got about to meet him
3: awesome. like what? 11 years
0: i huh, sorry what were you saying i was just saying i got to meet him like 11 years ago john waters cool guy
3: never never officially talked to him but like when i go to punk shows in baltimore he would randomly show up <laughs> Hang out. And he would always get martinis. It's like who drinks martinis at a punk show. But I guess like if it has a bar and they can make a martini, yeah, who's not going to give John Waters a martini? Yeah, there's there's one show many years ago, like early two thousands. Like it was a, it was a grindcore show. It was a band called Pig Destroyer and Phobia played, and we were standing outside, and all of a sudden John Waters walks outside, and everyone <laughs> froze because even in Baltimore, like a John Waters sighting is like a big deal.
0: Oh, of course yeah especially there.
3: and we and it, like everyone's just staring at him and he just like not breaking eye contact when it was like kind of like sideways walks and then backs up behind a dumpster and just disappears <laughs> <laughs> just walks out yeah just he just he was at the show and he was leaving and then like all these people were staring at him and i guess he just wasn't in the mood to engage or whatever so he just like <laughs> He walks behind the dumpsters and just disappears and then everyone's like like we all snapped out of it like he threw a smoke bomb or something like that.
0: Yeah. What's the one movie uh with the Odorama?
3: Uh Polyester.
0: Love that one. And I, I went to go see it at the, the new bev recently and they had the Odorama cards, but they freaking ran out when I came oh, in. I was so pissed. That sucks. Yeah,
3: that's a fun one. I'm surprised that someone still produces those or Warner Brothers or New Line just has a stack of them from I, like yeah. 1980 whatever that movie came out. Yeah, I
0: think they had like a box of them. <laughs> all right, let's see here.
1: One
3: second.
0: Sorry, I just like lost my thing. Here it is. That's all good. That's oh, why yeah. I was... pod- Sorry.
3: Oh, go ahead. That's why you edit podcasts.
0: That I do. Yes. <laughs> Um, my buddy Peter actually is showing Christmas Evil this month in Buffalo, New York. He does this this series called Thursday Night Terrors. I'm not sure if you've heard mm-hmm. of that. Um does really well. He actually he sells out like every show, which is pretty incredible.
3: Does he do that in Buffalo?
0: Buffalo, yeah.
3: What's the what's the theater there?
0: It's the Amherst Theater.
3: Hmm. I'll have to check that out at some point. I like checking out theaters, even small, big, or whatever. I I just I love I love movie theaters. I love art house movie theaters. I love the bug yeah. old you know, just brand theaters kind of thing.
0: Movie yeah. house. That one's, that one's a lot of fun. Definitely recommend. Um, do you have any wild stories from when you worked as a theater manager?
3: Too many that I cannot <laughs> <ever> share. <laughs> None of them. <laughs> I'm going to wait for a few people to die. <laughs> well, several people to die.
0: <laughs> My friend, Peter, he, uh, he always tells me about people that come in and they ask him to like butter the middle of his popcorn or, or yeah,
3: butter the oh, middle. The, oh, you mean the oh, you mean the, those fucking weirdos, the people that <laughs> the, like, fill up the bag halfway, put the butter in, then put the other popcorn <laughs> on top, and then they put more butter on top. So it's like this fucking Sam <laughs> like goddamn like artery cl- clogging. Just like shit. I hate, yeah. I hate movie theater butter. Just I mean, I mean, I don't eat butter. Real or you know, dairy or anything like that, anyway. But, like, yeah, even I did. I never got fucking movie theater butter because it just looks like it just looks like it goes right in your veins and just stops your fucking heart.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, was I there mean, a lo- sorry, if you're talking
3: about things like that, there's plenty of people. There's the people that like have very specific soda orders. <laughs> like, there's a fucking guy that would like he wants like three fourths of a cup of diet coke, then like. <laughs> then like eat the fucking root beer and then like top it off with dr pepper like you know just it's like if it's your house do whatever you want but like you're fucking taking someone's time and then if it's not right like, the motherfucker would sit there and sip it it's like no nah, not quite there it needs a little more root beer it's like yeah, fuck i hate that it. go fuck yourself
0: uh, my friend, my friend tweeted a picture of somebody's underwear that they left in like a seat. <laughs> and he tweeted it and hashtag it was it was for a screening of uh, crimes of the uh, the future. And, <laughs> and he he like hashtag it like neon or whatever from like the film yeah. company. And for some reason, it got retweeted like crazy and neon saw it. And they shipped him a friggin poster of crimes of the future signed by everybody.
3: That's amazing.
0: And did this whole thing. It was awesome.
3: I mean, it's good marketing, especially for that movie. Someone's <laughs> leaving their drawers there. <laughs> I know. Surgery's, so new, surgery's new sex. Yeah. I guess also sitting bare ass on a fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> the people sat on.
0: Did you enjoy that one, by the way?
3: Uh, I, I I thought it was good. It's like, you that know, I, I've, I've come to the determination that like a lot of filmmakers that I was really, really loved for many, many years yeah aren't make movies like how they used to so if it's just if it's good if it i feel like they put the effort into it i think it's good
0: yeah what do you think of uh possessor
3: possessor i actually haven't seen it i know uh. we played it a lot of times and it's just like i i am interested in what like his son brandon has been doing i think it was the infinity pool trailer just dropped
0: yeah so i saw that i saw a test oh, screening
3: yeah. oh yeah mom's the word on that
0: Ugh, it's not good i'm sorry bad
3: <laughs> I like
0: Possessor though I'll tell you Possessor's pretty fun are you,
3: are you breaking your NDA right now with that
0: absolutely okay. nah. <laughs> This was a horrible movie <laughs> <laughs> it was so
3: bad <laughs>
0: yeah I don't even care um, <laughs> I guess you won't be
3: invited back again
0: yeah I guess whatever they always invite no, me to the worst movies <laughs> um Let's see here. Was there a lot of connection building that got, got you to where you are um now?
3: Uh yeah. I mean I mean I did a whole episode. If anyone <laughs> go listen to it, I did an episode on the cinematic void podcast about film programming. And I talked about a distinction between networking and like building relationships and connecting, you know. Yeah. I, I think, you know, because we're in LA. You've probably been to a networking event. Everyone's been to a networking event. Yeah, unfortunately. And I just feel like it's better to build relationships and connect with people. So it's like, you know, I kind of hit on this earlier, but like, you know, you know, I connected or, you know, talked to Christian as Beyond Fest was starting and then became friendly with them or friends with them. And, it, you know, it got me an opportunity. And because I had an opportunity at Beyond Fest, it got me opportunity at the American Cinematheque. And because I had an opportunity at the American Cinematheque, I moved up from, like, theater staff to theater manager. And it also allowed me an opportunity to program. Yeah. Because, like, when you work in that environment, you know, you talk to film programmers, you pitch stuff, and sometimes they just magically appear in the program, you know? Yeah. Well, well, maybe... Maybe they'll listen to my ideas more. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, by making connections, you get opportunities. And then, like, through doing Cinematic Void, I became friendly with a bunch of like Blu ray labels like Severn and Vinegar Mm -hmm. Syndrome and Arrow and that kind of stuff. And you made connections with like other film programmers and you make connections with like other theaters. And that's, you know, that's really important. It's just like if you're going to, you know, making connections is important because like if you don't put yourself out there to make connections, you're just like, what are you doing? You're just flatlining.
0: Yeah. Connections are everything out here. I mean, for ev- anything you do in film, it's everything.
3: I think connections are for anything in life, you know, they are. it's, yeah. like, it's like, you want to be connected with a good auto mechanic, yeah. you know, you want to be connected with like, you know, where, the best places at 3am to get like a fucking vegan cheeseburger you know Mm -hmm. like all that stuff you know matters to some degree obviously some of it matters more but yeah you know if you just if you're not willing to connect with people life or your environment you're just basically
0: you're gonna crash and burn
3: (laughs) crash and burn is just like you're just not gonna go anywhere and then you wonder why you don't go anywhere it's because you just cease to connect
0: exactly and I'll, the only unfortunate thing is a lot of connections um end up not being connections and you you get connected to the wrong people and they kind of you know they don't they don't get you anywhere
3: <laughs> well, I mean, the that, they
0: promise you that, things yeah
3: i mean that's a that's a gamble for anything if you really think about it you yeah. know you don't know what connections are and like but you know it's like at this point like i can afford to be a little more discerning i'm like if i feel like i'm talking to someone who just like wants something out of out of me because the other thing with connections like if you're making a connections it has to be mutual it can't be oh you're giving and not getting anything yeah. back me 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 yeah it's like you know it's like you just got to be able to whatever you're willing to you know if if you're asking for someone for help you have to be willing to do something in return yeah
0: um so so you were going to show Ernest scared stupid
3: yeah And that? No, I basically I was told by the distributor, Uh Lorraine that (laughs) the print was not in good shape, even though it was already playing at another theater, you know, across the country. And after just like getting just weird run around about, it's like you know what? It sounded like they weren't going to let us book the print. So I said, "Fuck! I'm going to show Spookies instead." And then another venue booked that print and showed it. I'm just like what the fuck, man.
0: Yeah, and I went to that and it was a perfect print.
3: Oh, I I, I actually believe it. Knowing the here's the thing I've learned uh-huh. about prints with studios. Studios will always oversell the damage. They'll say like this is a grade D print, like it's like yeah. a scratch is cut up, and then like I'll let the siren go. In case
0: <laughs> pick it up. Oh, it's all good.
3: Yeah. How very LA. <laughs> all right i'll pick it up for me you know a studio will tell you like a oversell how bad a print is it's like "Oh, it's scratched up it's all spicy you don't show it with any guests and then you get it and it's just it's fine it's mm-hmm. completely watchable you know it might be warped it might have some like dings and damages but like you know studios have a different like system than like say an archive say a private collector you know mm-hmm. but studios usually tell you their prints look worse than they actually are
0: i would give that one another go next year because brain dead's audience was really like not full it was it was like eight or ten people came out to that which is kind really? of unfortunate yeah
3: i I, would, I went to brain dead for the first time because i co-hosted the severin um, super shock pop-up film oh, festival yeah yeah there and that was the first time i've been back to that place
0: since a you know. family yeah <laughs> yeah since you know yeah
3: <laughs> You know leave some things at best left on <laughs> set but like it was it was weird but it's like you know they've done a nice job in that place like you know the patio mm-hmm. is still pretty cool theater is cool. pretty cool so you know it's they've done a nice job on it and like mm-hmm. while having gone to Senate Family quite a few times when it existed and knowing yeah. that I'm remembering how it looked and then just you know seeing how they just kind of like cleaned it up a little bit hmm like or you know, it's like it. It's hard to erase the memories of that place, but I think they've done a admirable job, of, like making it their own. Mm-hmm. And I think, like at a certain point, there's gonna they're probably gonna have an audience that has no idea who the fuck's in a family is, so it's exactly. not gonna matter.
0: No, for sure. the The, the pop up must have been pretty packed, right?
3: Oh, it, it was sold out. Uh, although that's LA cool. sell out now is like you can sell out tickets and the people will no show because yeah.
0: That's, was that's, there a lot of that there?
3: There's a few no-shows and like, I I think you know Severin was worried about it. they might have accidentally oversold it at one point. I was like, no, you'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's just you know people buy tickets and then they change their mind.
0: Well, yeah, and, and that place they they make you select your seat now. Yeah, so I feel like they would have been fine.
3: Oh yeah, it was fine. It was it was still crowded, but like there was no like real issues. Plus, they reserved. We had a row reserved for everyone that was like part of the event, and like none of us were actually sitting and watching. Yeah. So if it Um, came down to it, like those seats would have been available.
0: Yeah. Um, you've done your fair share of contributing to filming location videos on YouTube. What about going back to these spots? Hits a nerve for nostalgia for you. I
3: mean it. When I there's a lot of people that do these videos, and yeah, I I was advised to like build up the cinematic void YouTube channel, which was something I kind of started in the pandemic when I was doing the you know online screening series, yeah. So I didn't know how else to host it, and I wasn't going to do a live stream or any of that shit. I was like, whatever's easy is what I'm doing, yeah. So, but I try to pick things or try to pick locations for movies that I really like that you know probably no one else cares about. It's like no one's knocking themselves out to go to the fucking house that was featured in joysticks. But like, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of close to where I live. And I was like, that's fucking cool.
2: Let's go. Same yeah.
3: with <laughs> that, like, um, you know, that donut shop and um, liquor store, Bobby's Liquor off of Melrose, where they filmed the scene from Neon Maniacs. It's like, yeah. I drive by that and I'm like, that's, you know, that's like my fucking Michael Myers house in South Pasadena.
0: Yeah, that's your Mecca.
3: It's my Mecca because it's just, you know, it, you know, it, nothing against those other filming locations. location. I just like, I like the weirder shit that kind of survived because like so much in LA gets fucking demoed and, you know, destroyed. Yeah. History is gone. Like, because it's, it's weird that Hollywood functions on nostalgia, but not for yeah. the actual town. Yeah. So like, you know, it's incredible when a place like Musa and Frank still exists when yeah. like the Brown Derby is just like gone
4: exactly yeah
3: but i mean i pick i just pick movies that i genuinely like and think are weird and then like to be able to go to those locations regardless of how stupid it is it's just it's fun for me
0: yeah no i enjoy it too i've actually i've done a bunch of videos too like in the past i haven't done one in a couple years but i'm trying to get back into it uh i still have the most views on child's play too which is pretty cool
4: that's
0: great got like 50 or 60k which is pretty crazy
3: yeah, um, I, I ain't hit, I ain't hitting them numbers doing fucking joysticks and um, neon maniacs.
0: Well, I got lucky on that one because nobody had done it, and that was that was a big one. And then I, I think I was the first to do Slumber Party Massacre, but that didn't get like any views, which was kind of dumb.
3: Yeah, that's kind of the one I did. One I did. I was in Salem earlier this year, back in April, and I did, I did two filming location like I did the two obvious ones together did Hocus Pocus and Lords of Salem because like everyone's fucking dumb. yeah
0: wait, I've done those ones too
3: <laughs> but but the one I really did in like I got lucky because I uh-huh. figured out one location it was um this movie directed by Bird Eye Gordon aka yeah. Mr. Big you know B.I.G. whatever yeah um best known for doing giant animal people type movies but he made a couple of, like kind of called horror things and he actually made the first horror movie in salem which was this movie called burned out of the stake which was also released as the coming which is one of the worst fucking titles for a movie ever <laughs> <'cause of>. exactly <laughs> but he shot like basically <laughs> 1980 1981 in salem and like you know he used the witch museum you can see the house of seven gables you can see like the main drag of essex street
0: oh that's awesome. And,
3: there's like, you know, there's also a house that's there, and like, I had a house number, and I'm working off a very shitty, like, VHS rip on YouTube, and this was one of the movies I actually showed during the pandemic when I was doing online screenings, and it's just like, I wouldn't say it's a good movie by any stretch, yeah. but I think it's interesting, and I think like, you know, it's almost historically accurate, except for the fact that no one in Salem was burned at the stake, because they, that's all what year- you're European witch finders would pull through that shit. Everyone was like hung mostly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just kind of cool to see a town that you I visited like completely different. Because when you see Hocus Pocus, there's very specific things you see. And then they went to like somewhere yeah. in Orange County and shot the rest. And same with Lords of Salem, there's some very specific things you see, but they shot probably most of it on the stage in LA.
4: Yeah, exactly. Or this
3: movie was entirely shot in Salem. Wow, And like, you see you know, the waterfront. So the whole time I was there, I was trying to find the fucking house for the movie. And all <laughs> I had was a house number that said 39. And I was just plugging in random streets, yeah. like 30 months, he would come up with, it looked like the house. I forgot what happened. I did this search and this was like the last day I was there. I was like 80 Salem houses, eighties or some fucking Google search like that. And I found a street. I'm not going to say what the street is because I did too much work to give it up like that.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: But I found a street where I saw a house that looked like <laughs> the house from the movie. And I was like, I'm just going to plug this in. And it's like 39 blah, blah, blah street. And it was the fucking house. <laughs> I love that. And like, I mean, no other time I've ever found anything like that. Like when I was doing Neon Maniacs and then they shot at Griffith Park, I was trying to find a specific spot in Griffith Park and I couldn't fucking find it. yeah. Like it just drove me nuts.
0: That's crazy. Um, I'm still trying but to. That, yeah,
3: sorry. But but finding that was like you know I don't know is like the greatest achievement. It's like I found something because like you know there's tons of like vloggers that like find shit all the time and it's just like yeah. yes I found this fucking house for this movie. No one cares about, but goddamn it, I found it.
0: It feels so good and to be like the first one to line it up and just see see the differences. It's it's fun.
3: I mean, the um, house was exactly the same. Oh, that's so like weird. Untouched. I mean, it was an older house, and like a lot, a lot of houses there are you know older and not really been fucked with too much.
0: Yeah, I, I think they changed the the color of the door on the Elm Street house again. I think it's black now.
3: Yeah, <laughs> always changing just, little you're, things. You're selling it. That's why.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm still trying to do the burning locations because that was that was filmed in my hometown, like real close. So that that I one's kind of hard. I kind of know where it is, but I haven't gone.
3: Is it you trying to find the summer camp they shot it at, or like around that area?
0: Yeah, like somebody told me what it was called. I'd have to go back and find it, but I know where that is. Just nobody's done it.
3: That'd be kind of cool. I'm surprised no one has done it.
0: Right. I wonder if you can Um, find those rocks. There's like that one scene with the big rocks. Wonder if those. I mean, just
3: just look for all the scorched earth. You'll find it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I really appreciate the fact that you show lesser known titles. Why do you think it's important to do this, even for good, bad movies that we can still love and appreciate?
3: I mean, it, it is called Cinematic Void, you know? Yeah. But, true. I mean, when I started it, the mission was kind of always pick movies that really weren't being played like mm-hmm. rep-wise. And like, but then you run into like an economic side. It's like you can be weird, but if you get too weird and no one's showing up, yeah. like, you're not going to have a programming series. So it's a balance. And like now that I do like basically every Monday, like I look at like every month, way Cinematech wants me to do it is like everything's got to be themed. So like I'll pick a theme and I'll make sure I have one one or two movies that I know are going to do well, no matter what, the, you know, obvious. And then I can be weird with the other two. Or sometimes it's just one really obvious movie, and I can be weird with the other three because sometimes you get surprised, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I looked at Cap Jonathan Kaplan series, like Truck Turner did better than expected. And I was really happy with that. And actually, student teachers did better than expected, but I knew over the edge was gonna sell out.
4: Of course, yeah. So,
3: but like, you know, it's I think it's important to show things people haven't seen. And like the the other thing I had to keep in mind is that. Even things that I think are obvious a lot of people haven't seen because a lot of people are like, you know, aging, becoming the age group that are going to rep cinema for the first time. Mm-hmm. I can think of example when I did that Night of the Living Dead this year, a movie that I can't imagine no one on the fucking planet hasn't seen at this point. Mm-hmm. 90% of the audience at that screening had not seen Night of the Living Dead.
0: Really? What?
3: It was amazing, and I sat there, and I was watching the crowd because they were getting into it. They're like, uh-huh. yeah, Ben kicks ass, Ben, you know, Dwayne Jones. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I wonder how that ending's going to hit. And when he gets shot at the end, like, you could feel the air sucked out of him.
0: Oh, wish I made it to that one. That's so I cool. mean,
3: it, it, the, the thing that's really kind of fantastic about, like, you know, showing you know movies that people haven't really seen, but also being able to show classics to people that haven't seen them yet. Mm-hmm. It's like this year because, like, you know, I've shown a, probably more movies that I've shown probably in the previous like five six years of cinematic Void this year, maybe not that much, but like it, it kind of feels like it. Pretty close, it's yeah. A fucking, it, it's a lot of fucking movies to show, but like, yeah, you know. The fact that I've had the opportunity to show everything from Last American Virgin to like, you know, Perfume Lady in Black yeah. to Night Living Dead. A lot of variety. Or like, you know, Seconds, or like, you know, Summer School, or One Crazy Summer. Like, just being all over the place. Yeah. Because the, the other thing is like, you know, a lot of people that like, it's specialty programming, a lot of people like, aren't very cult-centric. They end up just going all horror. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously horror pays the bills because people will come out for that over any other genre. But like, I just, I like having the ability to like, you know, I could do a month of horror and then I could do a month of action or I could do a month of like 80s, like HBO comedies and like.
4: So cool. Yeah.
3: I mean, the other thing is like when I used to do, you know, monthly screenings, I would get primarily the same audience each time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Like it would be the same people and maybe a few different people. But you know, doing Monday screening it's a challenge because you have to You know, there's there's a magic number I need to hit, you know, and it's like it's not really a requirement, but it's just like, you know, the more you hit the magic number, the more freedom you get. Exactly. So it's like, you know, I can't rely on the same like 140, 150 people to show up every Monday because that's just not realistic because people have lives. Yeah. But, you know, if I can get a few of those each Monday and get a whole new crowd and find someone that like wants to come back and check something out. Something else out, you know. Obviously, when I do Hour of the Wolf, none of those fucking people are coming back. Yeah, especially. Well, you know, they're they're there because like they have a Criterion Channel subscription or whatever. But like,
2: mm.
3: but you know, other opportunities is like people will come out and see well, like you know Legend of Billy Jean and like, cool, maybe I'll check out something else. Yeah, or people that came out and saw like you know just some weirdo horror movie like, you know, maybe I should give this a chance because like the horror stuff I've been recommended has been really, really great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, but it's important to show variety because like, you know, we're in the day and age where like, you know, movies are viewed under different lenses. And like, that's something like I'm going to have to deal with for a while now. And probably mm-hmm. for the rest of my program career is that sensibilities have changed. Although yeah. What I, what I really believe about movies that are problematic is they were problematic back then. Mm-hmm. People didn't give them much of a shit, or if they complain, everyone's like, whatever, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you still have to give it a little context. It's like, yeah, this movie has some really horrible shit in it, but yeah. the reality is there's really fucking horrible people in real life. Yeah. And if you, you know, want to not watch a movie or dismiss a movie because, you know, for like, like one oh, line, I, yeah. for one line, or like, you know, this movie, this person did something really bad in a movie. It's like it's also a movie. Yeah, you exactly. You can, you can go home, but <laughs> I mean, I, I'm with I you. Like, <laughs> I mean, you can go home and you can disengage from it. You know. Yeah, exactly. But I, I just, I feel like there's like people just want to just kind of deny that, like you know, people they nitpick. want to curate. What? No, they, they want to curate a life mm-hmm. or like a realm. Like everything they consume is a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. whereas like i'm not scared to challenge people and show you a movie that may fuck you up yeah Show you know. movies that like, i don't even like but i feel like there's value <laughs> showing them yeah. i've also shown movies i don't like but i'm showing them because i know they'll make money make we'll do well screening it so i can go and show something i actually want to show
0: yeah smart what's what's one you showed that you don't
3: like a <laughs> 13th oh yeah that movie sucks <laughs> I'm not a fan of the franchise. I like part five and part four. Yeah, part four think, is great. I love part five because it's just so off the wall. It's so
0: silly. I love it.
3: I mean, it, it's. I, I I feel like part five is going to finally have its Halloween 3 due.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it is, definitely.
3: Justice for Roy. But, like, you know, I, <laughs> I just I, I feel like Friday the 13th, like, for all it's ushered in. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I don't... It's not that I think it's a bad movie. I just, I don't like it. And I just like feel like yeah. the whole concept is a fucking cheat.
0: Yeah, it is. It's all cash yeah. grab.
3: Yeah. I mean, I always think about Ernest, Ernesto Gastaldi, who was like a long time. He wrote a lot of the Giallo films with um, Sergio Martino and wrote a lot of Giallo movies in general.
4: Mm-hmm. And he
3: always talked about you can't cheat. Yeah. And I feel like there's a cheat in Friday the 13th, which like kind of renders it, it's like, really? Really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't like that one, but I showed it because it made money. There, There's definitely yeah. other ones. There's there's a couple things that I programmed early on because I guess the consensus was like, well, we should do this, you know, help build audience. And like, I didn't really agree with the philosophy behind it because I thought it was yeah. a message, whatever. But, you know, things happen.
0: I think I went to that Friday, the 13th one, though. Wasn't that in the small room at the Egyptian?
3: No, that was at the Arrow. That was, um,
0: Oh, okay, maybe I missed
3: it. Void, like I did two Arrow shows for Camp Void when Camp Void was the that was the first big sub series I did, and yeah. I did two triple features of the Arrow. I did um the Burning Sleepaway Camp and Twisted Nightmare. Yeah, and I did Friday Thirteenth Summer Camp Nightmare and Sleep- <laughs> or Sleepaway Camp too.
0: I'm so happy you're saying that. I got to tell you a really funny story. So okay. about <laughs> like a month or two ago, probably two months ago now, um, they showed a movie at the new Bev. I forgot what it's called, like heartbreak or heartbreakers or something, mm-hmm. which is directed by the guy that is married to Pam Springsteen. Really? And yeah. And I saw, I follow her on Instagram. Cause why not? And the day of that screening, she just like posted on her story. She's like, like she posted the new bev marquee and she was like go go here tonight and i was like oh damn and i immediately sent it to my friends i'm like yo i think pam springsteen's going to be at the new bev tonight <laughs> like bring your bring your sleepaway camp to shit and then <laughs> and then like my friends they're they're actually on like the east coast they were just like oh you you got to go to that and then um he hit up like one of his friends that that was he's like an artist and he was out of town and he, he basically immediately messages me. He's like, Oh, are you going to that screening tonight? Cause if you are, please bring my sleep away camp two poster to get signed. And he, he's <laughs> like, he's like, I'll, I'll have somebody meet you there with it. And I'm like, I, I guess I'll go now. Like why well, it might as well. So I literally, <laughs> I literally like I was, I was coming home from work or something like from like a set. And uh, I went home to feed my dog and then flew all the way back to Hollywood for the the new Bev. And I picked up this guy's poster underneath a dumpster basically. And it <laughs> went to this theater, didn't even have a ticket to this movie. Cause it was already like almost over at that point. And I was, it was the weirdest thing ever. Like I'm not even an autograph hound. Like I ask, especially like at your screenings, it's like an easy, you know, just get a quick free autograph. Might as well. Um, this is the weirdest thing I've ever done. Literally waited outside of the fucking new bed for her. Like a friggin' oh like a paparazzi, which that is not me at all. But I was like, you know what? If I have this one chance in life to get my Sleepaway Camp 2 signed, I might as well try. And I brought Mm -hmm. my Blu-ray and I'm just standing out there. And and then she comes out and she's like talking to all these people outside. And then after like a half hour, she walks by me and I'm just like, "Um, hi, Pam. (laughs) 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 And I, I was just like. Uh, I don't even remember what I said. I just was like, oh, I, "I love your, I love your work," or something, or I don't even know. And then I, I was like, "Oh, can we get a picture?" And she's like, "Oh yeah." And she was like, "She was super nice." And then I was like, "Oh," and I uh, I brought a movie for you to get for you to sign. And, and she looked at it and like I thought for sure she was gonna be like, "Fuck you." <laughs> and she signed it. And I, I I think I'm like one of the only people who has an autograph from her because she hates those movies. Does she? She Watch. actually she refused to be on the Blu-rays. They they reached out. They wanted to interview her, and she was like, "Nope." She wants to like erase that from her past, basically.
3: I mean, but she's good in them. She's I fantastic mean, in them. Makes no some sense. people. I think just probably where her headspace is now versus you know, yeah. I, you know having dealt and done Q and A's with a lot of people there on different terms of what they think about their movies and their mm-hmm. performances they've been in like you know not everyone's gonna have the same reaction
0: did kaplan like for example like seeing all those movies with the audiences did he look at them differently when they saw how explosive they were with the audience
3: i think was he had a good time i i, I think because he did he hasn't really i know he's done q a's before but he hadn't you know done them in a while and like i think it was just like i think he just like was just enjoying it you know yeah you know because i i mean i i think he just you know he was great like sincerely great. It's like, I want to do Mm -hmm. more Kaplan movies. Like, if I could do another month of Kaplan stuff, which I really want to do probably sometime next year, like, have him back and talk about some of the other stuff. Please. He was great. I I think, like, I think starting out, he probably, like, yeah, I don't know about this. But then, like, you know, once he kind of warmed up and just, like, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't just, like, he got to talk about craft, he got to talk about experience, you know. Mm -hmm. And plus, he got to hang out with some of his friends, you know, Dan, who wrote Student teachers and Tim night call Yeah. yeah. Tim Hunter and like Pamela Ludwig showed up that he invited. He's like, "Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you." I'm like, "Thanks, thanks, Jonathan."
0: And that was like the day of. He told you that, right? It,
3: it wasn't day. I I thought I saw her outside. I'm like, "Is that her? Did she just randomly show up?" <laughs> and, like, I was like, "John, it's like, is Pamela here?" I was like, "Yeah, I think I saw her." He's like, "Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you." I'm afraid her
0: oh man, that's funny.
3: Cause I talked to him over email that day and I was like, Hey, anyone you want to add to the guest list or anything like that?
0: That's cool. That's awesome.
3: But you know, I think depending on the actor or filmmaker, they have different opinions of their movies over their career, you know? Mm -hmm. And some people are going to be ashamed of things they did, even though there really isn't, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not like for like Pamela. Springsteen like I, I guess it's probably embarrassing because like she probably thinks like oh these are just garbage or whatever but yeah. like she hasn't seen them with the audience and I think maybe seeing them with the audience and like getting reaction might change her opinion of it but on the flip side getting her to actually sit so through that movie again is probably impossible.
0: Let's get a petition of like a thousand signatures and send it her away and be like you have to come you simply have to come.
3: I mean you never know she might have a change of heart because there's definitely been like people that said no millions of times and doing a q a and then all of a sudden like you know what fuck it
4: fuck it
0: i'm gonna do not? it
3: yeah right well i also feel like some people might feel like they want to have something a little more prestigious with it or whatever you know what i mean
0: yeah she can promote her photography i know she does that now She's yeah i mean
3: it's just you know it, having done enough q a's with like a variety of different people you get people on all kinds of sides of their career and like yeah. Perspective on it because you have people that like were in movies that should have been monstrous hits that weren't you yeah have people that just like you know
4: <laughs> spookies
3: <laughs> i mean spookies is just insanity i mean you have people <laughs> just, like you know ruling their careers like self-destructed or just like you know just didn't you know were yeah. in really terrific movies just didn't get the break at the time mm-hmm. and then there's people that are just probably in things that they did for money and have no emotional attachment to it
0: mm-hmm you have a very entertaining pre show that plays while people gather in their seats, lots of great advertisements, newsreels, and everything in between, silly and savory. How much time do you typically put into making those?
3: Too much, but.
0: Yeah, a lot of hours.
3: <laughs> I mean, I've kind of streamlined it because when I'm doing LF3 shows, I try to keep them between 15 <laughs> and 20 minutes. When I used to do them at the Egyptian, I used to do like full half hour ones.
0: Yeah, like... that's insane.
3: Sometimes they just like, you know, start running out of things and like, you know, Mm -hmm. doing a themed walk in is pretty cool until you run into the problem of you run out of stuff or like you realize like there just Mm -hmm. isn't enough stuff. Like I started Cinematic Void on Valentine's Day weekend. Yeah. There wasn't really a ton of Valentine's like commercials out there. It's very. Really? At least at the time I made that first reel is very. Very tight, you know. Christmas is easy, Halloween's easy, you know. Mm-hmm. But then those are the two like holidays where like I typically don't do well at. It. Yeah, I this this year's been this year's been an exception. Like doing spookies and change limited we really well.
0: Most and screenings have like, done well, at least in my view. I mean, a, a lot of them have been great. Even like Life Force had a pretty good audience.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, I, what I'm talking about is, like, over the years, be, like, pre-LF3, like, I guess, the before times, the before lockdown times. like True, yeah. I, I think my first Halloween, I did WNUF Halloween special in the midnight hour and had Chris LaMartina and Jimmy George and Chris, Chris's life, wife, Melissa LaMartina, out. Yeah. And, like, we did a Q&A, and that sold out. But then, like, I did Bill Heinzman's The Flesh Eater on 35-millimeter print, I thought people would be stoked to see that. Yeah. Fucking oddball movie like Bill Hinesman, original ghoul from (laughs) Melee Dead, making an unauthorized sequel so his character could continue. Yeah. And like that that crowd was small, but like, you know, and they enjoyed it, but like it wasn't really it wasn't a draw. Mm -hmm. But then like, you know, a lot of the Christmas stuff I tried like, you know, just different things and just like it just didn't gel.
0: Um, One of the best parts of the pre-show is the final cinematic void mashup trailer that plays right before your your stage entrance at every screening. So many great filthy movies are squeezed into that video. Um, Who made that? And what's the catchy song that plays during it?
3: I made it. Okay. I figured the song is um, Astros by the band detective, which don't, don't exist anymore. Like the, Lola G, who was what she played bass and also guitar and detective does a band now called death Hags, and Man. James Greer, who was the guitarist of that band. He's uh he's actually an author. He was also in guided by voices for a little bit. And like, I actually showed his new movie this year. It was uh mirror moves. And he oh yeah. Out. Okay. So it was weird after like six years that it, the first time that both of them were in the theater to see that song played.
0: That's so weird. It came full circle.
3: <laughs> yeah. I felt bad. I almost didn't play it, and I was like, "Are you gonna be okay?" It's like they had nothing against the song. I mean, <laughs> like it just had to be fucking weird to hear that song, after really?
0: like,
3: playing it or haven't played it in years, and then like see that.
0: <laughs> did they know that you that you did that or no?
3: Well, yeah, I, I actually cleared it with them first because I, I was already friends, and in my filmmaking life, I had done a music video with them previously. And then after when I did that cinematic void intro video, I did another music video in that same style for them. Yeah. It was part of a series where like steven soderbergh was one of the other people did a music video for him so i I was in a music video series with steven soderbergh oh yeah although like no one would actually play the music video because they're like oh we're worried about all the copyright stuff and it's like it was all trailers and like you know any trailer before 1980 which was all those trailers is like you know they considered trailers public domain or whatever yeah So, like, you know, when they sent try to get that video played at, like, Pitchfork or something, they're like, oh, I don't know, man, we don't want to get in trouble. It's like, yeah, yeah, not that edgy Pitchfork whatever.
0: Who's that girl that you have on stage with you, like, that opens every performance?
3: Oh, oh, who comes out sometimes? Yeah, Um, yeah. That's that's Deanna Rooney, who is um, married to Jonah Ray of Mystery Science Theater fame. Oh, cool. Deanna is an incredible comedian, performer, all that. She... She's also in the new Mystery Science Theater, too. But, like, I forget how. It started during the pandemic because, like, I had an idea because I was doing Burial Ground with Severn Films. And if you, <laughs> Burial Ground. Classic. actor in it named Peter Bark, <laughs> who plays a child in it called Michael. He's, like, 30 years old. Yeah. And I thought it would be fucking bizarre to do a fake Q&A with him. So that's how I started doing stuff with Deanna. And then we've done other stuff but then like you know probably january giallo should be back to do stuff she played like the black love killer she played <laughs> patrick, patrick still lives what else she does she played the trees from like a tree from the blair witch project <laughs> yeah that was funny she played a sweet 16 birthday planner
4: um,
3: <laughs> a zombie you know a zombie method acting coach for night living dead and the way we do those things is that we i i send her a concept she agrees to it she makes a character up we plan nothing yeah we we, we kind of talk about it before going on stage and then we just kind of go mm-hmm. and usually it's me let me getting her on stage and then like figure out a way to end it <laughs> so it doesn't go 20 minutes
0: that's she's awesome
3: yeah what's the end Oh, is amazing. So it's like if you're looking for an actor, comedian for your your film project or whatever, please hire her because yeah, she's super-
0: yeah, she comes up with great ideas too. What's the uh, what's the most unruly guest you've had to deal with at one of your screenings?
3: Oh fuck,
0: there's got to be one.
3: What is her fucking? Um,
0: <laughs> you don't have right. to name them if you don't want.
3: Nah, I'm not gonna name it. But maybe <laughs> when she sense. dies. But like. <laughs> um it's just for a screening um yeah. she brought her dog with her and left her dog in the car and i told her she could bring the dog in a the theater oh, wow. it was a double feature and i had a q a after the other movie and then it was going to be an intro
4: okay
3: the other movie intro q a and because the one q a ran late she got mad at me and like chewed me out and said Look, like i'm gonna tell my manager you did this and that and all that and just like it was just being a fucking nightmare wow and like that's the only guest that I've ever had like get fucking mean and snippy with me. Everyone else has been like you know obviously lots of personalities and stuff like that. But everyone else has been genuinely cool, you know.
0: I guess I meant oh, uh, th- you mean like me? theater you mean... theater patrons or
3: oh, you mean like oh theater? Well, you know, there's all kinds of fucking dickheads that go.
0: To
3: <laughs> there, there's people that like do drugs and think they're going to be cute and then like
0: yeah, cosying.
3: Have a bad time. I mean, I I I've skated most of it. The one I can bring up, I don't know if I should bring it up, but I in mean, anyway, it was years ago, <laughs> um, 2016. This is right after Trump is elected. Yeah, yeah. He showed It's a Wonderful Life. I was hosting a screening of microwave Massacre in the little house. Oh, interesting. So, so it's a wonderful life wasn't my concern. Um, this fight broke out and It's a Wonderful, <laughs> life where Basically, some woman kept talking to her kids, and someone shushed her. Yeah. so the woman, "How dare you shush me?" so basically the the person that was shushing who was in the right was a Trump voter. Uh-huh. The woman that was chatting was a Hillary voter. okay And not that it not that it makes any difference, but like basically, what happened was a big fucking political blow up in the middle of fucking it's. What? Wonderful. And they were like screaming at each other and like, you know, then you get in the, and then you get in this tough decision here because like the movie's disrupted you can ask people to leave but people aren't going to fucking leave yeah like yeah. i have never had anyone get out of their seat when i've had to try to kick someone out of the theater during a movie yeah and then it comes down to it was like what is what is least disruptive do you just let it go uh-huh or do you stop the movie bring the lights off and kick them out
0: did you end up doing that
3: no, we let we let it roll. Like the lady's husband came out and was like, you know, was he was shook because he was just afraid like something violent was going to happen. Yeah, like, you know, it's just it it was just weird, and it's just like I I feel like people have this weird entitlement thing because like you know everyone's like cinema is church, but like a lot of people don't view cinema as church. Yeah, people just give a fuck, and like you know, especially because it, it's a wonderful life, which. I'm going to say this, the more normal mainstream of movie you show, you usually the worse the audience you get.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah.
3: Because you get, you know, people that don't really go to movies, but they're like, huh, you know what? I like Star Wars or It's a Wonderful Life. Like just the yeah. most basic like cinema you can see. They will show the fuck up for that.
4: Exactly. And then,
3: like, Be awful. I mean, one of the worst things I ever had to do while working in theater was when we did that run of the Irishman really and it was and it's not because the irishman's bad the we were getting multiplex audiences okay and multiplex audiences are different than repertory cinema off audiences yeah where like people would just sell their phones they would fucking be loud they'd be chill drunk like it just
0: oh man it sucks
3: and it was just like three shows a day of a three-hour movie with like you know people just really not being nice to the staff, and like you know we were we were trying to do a run of a movie like a very popular what ended up being a popular movie with yeah. like you know not a lot of staff, so mm-hmm. like staff was getting like stretched thin, people were starting to like get sick, you know because it's like the winter, yeah, like that you know i i I'm not saying everyone that went to the Irishman was a bad person, but I'm okay. saying. We definitely tapped into an audience we normally don't get who just happen to be really fucking awful.
0: You find the worst of people at AMCs. I, I, went, Wait, I, I went, I went. Sorry.
3: I was going to say, yeah, it's like, you know, the more main, if it's a mainstream movie or it's a new movie, it's just like, that's why like, if I see a new movie, I go to a matinee. And yeah. I, you know, if I can purchase a seat, I purchase a seat all the way in the back. Totally. So no one's going to find me, so it's like, it might not be the most ideal place to sit, but then like, I can't be disrupted by people fucking around behind me.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I went to go see that movie, Tar, the Kate Blanchett movie, mm-hmm. um, and this girl's phone started ringing, and she didn't even try to silence it. She just let it ring all the way through, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And then five minutes later, I shit you not, an Amber Alert <laughs> went on her phone oh my god <laughs> and she let the whole amber alert go <laughs> like and nobody said anything i was shocked i'm like how is nobody saying anything do i have to be the guy and then i just left because they were she was just on her phone the whole movie i just couldn't even sit there anymore it was like a three-hour movie yeah it,
3: it the thing is you the thing is in order for you to do the right thing and like ask that person to leave and this is what i had to deal with when i was theater managing is like mm-hmm. You're, you basically have to rule in your experience to fix the experience but like at the same time it's like you can't have like you can't police a fucking movie theater once it started because then yeah. like having someone stand there and like staring around at people is like a distraction too you know mm-hmm. like people there- like on the, on the lookout for like cell phones or like people talking that kind of stuff like it, it you know it takes you out of the thing it's just like yeah. I don't have a right answer it's just other than like maybe people just being cool and enjoy
0: the movie exactly has there ever been a time you showed a movie and a guest or a potential guest reached out to you to join the q a that's
3: happened a few times it actually happened on the very first q I did which was silent rage um i had the screenwriter booked and then through the guy i was like working on this with um he the producer in the movie reached out and wanted to come out. And I was like, all right, and the producer is Anthony Bianker, who produced mm-hmm. Silent Rage, The Unseen, and Don't Look Now, which is a hell of a fucking career trajectory. If I were wow. you know, going from Nick Rogue to Chuck Norris, yeah. basically. So
2: right. That was the
3: very first QA I did, but occasionally there is. Like, you know, if if a person that's directly involved with the movie reaches out, I'm always cool with that. I kind of get leery when people like reach out, like, Hey, I sort of know this guy that was in this movie kind of thing. Cause then you're like, you're dealing with it secondhand. Yeah.
0: Wow. What are, what are some films you're dying to show that you can't get clearance for?
3: I mean, at this point I've kind of shown mostly, you know, everything I want to, what it's coming down to is movies, not really rights clearance, but fine materials, Hmm. you know, I know. Like the... Oh, go ahead.
0: I was just gonna say. I know my friend Peter is trying to show the the stuff, but I know that if he if he shows the stuff, they're like making him show like three other films with it, and like that's that's their their terms. It's kind of stupid.
3: Well, knowing that distributor, they usually want to charge a lot, a lot of money, or they want you to book a bunch of films that they have rights to. You yeah. know, I, I had to deal. I had to deal with them when I showed the stuff for Larry Cohen tribute, and they were trying to, like, railroad us, and Larry actually called him up and yelled at him. Oh, nice. So, <laughs> shout out to Larry, and rest in peace. Larry's an in incredible, incredible filmmaker and a hell of a guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was amazing. I love that documentary they did on him.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's why we showed the documentary, and then we showed the stuff, and um, cue the wing Serpent. So, we had a full-on Larry tribute.
0: I know you had a clusterfuck of a situation for seconds.
3: Oh, yeah, that, I mean that the fact that like that was the only time that ever happened yeah so just to kind of go in we we booked a print of seconds and the person on the print shipped it probably a little late and they shipped it ground and normally ground will arrive in time but like for whatever reason it was taking longer and like there was hope that it would show up monday last minute but it you know it didn't Mm part of like where the offices the streets were closed so you know FedEx was wasn't really going down so it I mean that print missed by like two or three days mm-hmm. so we had a DCP backup there's a problem with the DCP backup we had a Blu-ray backup there's a problem with the Blu-ray backup it's the mm-hmm. only time where like every failsafe failed yeah because you know when you're doing this and you're especially you're working with film prints or like you know anything digital like there's there's always a chance for error Mm -hmm. But you know, Seconds just happened to be the one where like everything fucking bombed, and it bummed me out because Seconds is probably, if not my all-time favorite movie, it's in my top ten.
4: Wow, and that's a good one.
3: I've waited years to show it on a film print, and just like it fucking bummed me out. But thankfully, the Cinematheque had a Sunday print edition or whatever, and still got to show that print. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that was that was a rough one.
0: What about the movie-going theater experience? Do you think is so important? Like, why why do we need to save the cinemas from going extinct?
3: It's a communal experience because, like, you know, I know people show videos of like watching Spider Man when all three fucking Spider Mans, whoever they are, fucking <laughs> was the worst. Whatever. You know, people can all. I mean, but the thing is, you can have that moment watching it, right? You know, a non-fucking like, yeah. you know, digestible CGI nostalgic grab, like. Again, I'll I'll talk about that Night of Living Dead screen. The fact that like we had a you know an audience that never seen it before and they got into the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you show a movie and people just allow themselves to be immersed in it and they're part of the crowd. And that's you know why I kind of got to say it's like you know you're living in a moment, especially when you're watching 35 millimeter prints because each 35 millimeter print is always not going to be the same. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there can be print damage, there can be fading, there can be like, you know, things cut out of it, whatever. Every, every experience is unique. Mm-hmm. But like, when you, and every time a film plays on film, it's losing a little something, you know. There might be a frame that goes bad, there might be a sprocket that burst, there might be a, something that gets scratched. Yeah. So each experience is completely unique. You can see the same film print like three or four times over a 10 year span, and it's not going to be the same way. It'll be close, but it will keep evolving yeah so what's really important the experience is like the communal aspect if you're with an audience of people that are going to be receptive who are going to just like sit back and watch the movie and take it in for what it is Mm -hmm. you know there's no like viewing it under a modern lens anything you're just watching a fucking movie and you get immersed in it Mm -hmm. and you you know there's stakes of like you know you get invested in what's Mm -hmm. happening and like you're laughing when it's funny you're getting scared when it gets scared You're like cheering when the fucking explosion happens or whatever. It's like Mm -hmm. you can't get that watching something on Netflix or watching a Blu ray at home. You can have what you're, I mean, even, I think even watching stuff at home when you're having party nights and watching things like that, you're engaging with the movie, but you're engaging in a different way because despite what people think, you're fucking talking during the movie. Yeah.
0: and there's something special about the whole conversation that goes on after the movie, you know, and especially at the Los Feliz, like a lot of people hang out afterwards in the front or in the theater in general and just talk about it, which is so cool.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like cinema is art, you know, even like, dare yeah. spookies is art because like <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> all the farts, yeah, that, you know, all, the, all the fucking weird monster parts, <laughs> but like it, 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 it is art because like you're you're watching it. You know, the same projector probably ran like Picnic Hanging Rock early that day. That's (laughs) quite spooky. And they're both on footprints that like, you know, could easily not exist anymore. Yeah. So, you know, it's you can have all kinds of communal experience. I think the worst audiences are people that just refuse to engage. Like they're just there to watch. They're there like to consume. They're not there to engage. Mm -hmm. And I think it only really truly engages in a movie theater with a crowd Especially if, like, you know, you're there with your friends, you're there with people who've never seen the movie before, you're just there, you know, to experience it. And one of my favorite things is, like, sitting in the back watching, you know, watching the movie, but also watching the crowd, because like, you know, I've seen these movies before, but it's a treat to watch a film with an audience that doesn't know what's going to happen. Yeah, You know, it's like, I think the only movie I played this year where, like, 99% of the audience had seen it was Halloween 2. and It was still fun to watch, but, like, it's different in watching say like Carnival Souls with people who have never seen it before. Yeah. Or like you know, getting to the end of the last American version when like that gut punch of an ending yeah. hits and, you know, people just don't don't know how to process it, that they have to they're gonna go home and think about it and they're gonna unpack it that way. Yeah. That's why I think is like, you know, you can't get that at home. You can't yeah. get that, you know, and a you know, I love drive-ins too, but like really a dark room with like 50 to 150 people all in together. And just like all eyeballs are on the screen because that's all that matters.
0: It's the best. So we've reached the end. Uh, I have my little speed round at the very end. I ask a lot of bullshit questions and you answer them. All right. What's a horror remake you like more than the original?
3: Hmm. I'm going to say the thing.
0: I like the Hills of eyes to be honest. I think that's a good remake.
3: I don't like the remake. I like the part two of the remake. Really? Yeah, I think part two of the remake series is phenomenal. I wasn't a fan of the um, first remake, but part yeah. two, which I think was the original script for the original series, part three, I think was a lot of fun. Well, as much fun as like those movies can be.
0: Yeah. What's the the craziest thing you witnessed inside a movie theater?
3: Um, <laughs> fuck, there's too many things. Um. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the pinpoint, of the thing is like, there's, there's so many goddamn <laughs> things. Um, <laughs> um, I probably, I'm trying to pinpoint it because it's just like, I don't know. The, you know, I think the craziest thing is just like, you know, watching, I'm going to keep it simple and not anything that might get me sued later on. But yeah, um, I think the craziest thing is like, you know, watching like an audience like just fully lose their shit over a movie yeah and like having their mind blow. like you know actually the I'll, I'll say this one of my favorite movie going experiences i saw sam Raimi's the gift okay like in white marsh maryland it was like a 10 11 o'clock screening this is on first run And the audience just fucking like got into it, and and, like it didn't seem like an audience would care. They're like, "Well, this last movie, like everyone got into it every time, like the scares hit, all that people were losing their shit and they're like like screaming and having a good time." Like, yeah, that's the craziest thing I've seen because, like you know, being with an audience like that, that probably like oversold the movie, made it crazier. But like you know, actual crazy shit that happens. I've seen so much shit, and like I. I'm trying to think of things I could tell you that just I can't actually tell you.
0: That's fine. That's fine. What's the last item you threw at someone?
3: Oh fuck! What is <laughs> it? Um, I have no idea. It's probably a pen.
0: Okay. Uh, grape grape jelly or strawberry jelly? Strawberry. Favorite Halloween sequel? Three. Guilty pleasure horror movie.
3: There's no such thing as guilty pleasure horror movies, <laughs> but. I think as a movie that like maybe is perceived actually I don't I'm gonna say Neon Maniacs I don't even think it's a guilty pleasure I know a lot of people shit on that movie because that's another movie that just never got finished and got cobbled together but like yeah I think it's a movie that is due for a major retrospective of like how people look at it because like you know you have cool monsters you have like a kick-ass battle the band sequence where people are in costume you yeah. know it. It's a really fun 80s movie, and I just feel like it just got lost in time. It's not even guilty pleasure, but I'm just, I, I will always champion Neon Maniacs any chance I get.
0: No, that's awesome. Uh, what's your greatest horror movie of all time? A horror movie kill of all time?
3: Greatest horror movie kill of all time. Fuck. Um, it's probably not the greatest, but the dummy drop from Dr. Butcher, MD. Oh,
0: yeah. Classic.
3: Where <laughs> the guy jumps out the window, he hits the ground, his arm goes flying off. It's probably not the most violent death, but like, I mean, I it's, it. it's, it's funny. that It's been in that cinematic void reel the whole entire time. And I've yet to show Dr. Butcher as a, as a screening. <laughs> maybe I'll do that this upcoming year.
0: You got the street trash clip at the end. Have you shown that?
3: I've shown Street Trash. I showed it with Neon Maniacs um during Beyond Fest, which was a weird screening because we had to do it in Spielberg, and we had two film prints from Agfa. Yeah. And because Spielberg only had one projector, and Agfa doesn't let you build up or platter the reels, we had to play one reel at a time. Take <laughs> off the next one. So it was ten reels oh of God. Street Trash and Neon Maniacs. It was not a fun way to show a movie.
0: That's hilarious. I got to see Street Trash at the local Buffalo Dreams Film Festival like six years ago, maybe. And uh, Roy Frumkes came came out for it, and uh, Greg Greg Lamberson, who directed Slime City, curated it. it That's cool. cool. Yeah, it um,
3: I, I talked to Roy on the phone. He actually did a little video intro for the Beyond Fest screening.
0: Did he? Oh yeah, he's cool.
3: Yeah, and then like he's disappeared since. I don't know what happened to him, but I guess Roy. I, I guess there's a 4K Street Trash coming out from Synapse at some point.
0: Oh yeah, I bet. Uh, what's your favorite snack to get at the movies or sneak in?
3: Uh, let's see. Fuck. Um, I like pretzels. I like soft pretzels.
0: Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. The one the one at the Alamo Draft House is really good.
3: I haven't been to the Alamo. The only time I've ever been to an Alamo Draft House was when they had their big opening party. And I like went to that. And I have not been back since to see a movie or anything. Yeah.
0: It's kind of a pain in the ass to get to in the L.A. one. but I
3: mean, I, I took the train down when I went. But like this is all the before times, the the pre lockdown times.
0: Yeah, um, something you got detention for in school?
3: Detention for in school? I don't know. Shit, what did I get detention for? Um, um, you know, not wearing my proper gym class clothes at gym class. Really. what? Yeah, I took them. I took them home because they were dirty and it wasn't laundry day at home. And like, I just put on some other stuff. And like, the guy was like, "You need to. You're going to get detention because you're not wearing your uniform." It's like, fucking <laughs> like gym class. Come on, man. I think uh, I even skipped. I think I even skipped detention and didn't even go to it.
4: Yeah, good.
0: <laughs>
3: What's a I mean, fuck, fuck gym class? Like, fuck well, gym like, class.
0: <laughs> What's a must stop restaurant to get food at in L.A.
3: Oh, fuck. Um, It's getting harder and harder because, like, you know, I'm vegan and, like, mm-hmm. everything is, like, becoming... All the vegan places are now burger places. It's like, you know, vegan yeah. burgers cool and all, but it's like, I want to fucking eat something else. Like, the place yeah. I used to love, and again, this is before the, the end times, was Little Pine when Moby still owned it, and then he sold it to a company... Or a bunch of people who basically thought, you know what, Little Pine needs to be a shitty version of Veggie Grill.
0: Oh God!
3: And then the food just being like, because it was like the only like kind of like I know there's also Crossroads, but I always, you know, no disrespect, but their shit's expensive and their portions are small. Like, yeah, Little Pine was a nice like kind of mid to higher end like vegan place to go eat. And like LA's kind of like lacking those now, I guess. I guess the best place I would say is Per Vita, which is like you know, you know, vegan Italian food, which is good, but it's mm. like, you know, I'm not gonna always want pasta.
0: Yeah, Fred sixty two next to the theater is pretty good, but that's expensive too.
3: Uh, we I, there's when we started doing screenings there again, you know, I would have a lot of like dinners there before or after, so they have some pretty good vegan options too. But yeah. I I do like Fred sixty two. I don't. And there's a, um, there's a bar next to the theater called Pinky's that has a pretty good vegan taco.
0: Okay. What's your favorite food in the world?
3: Someone asked me this today. <laughs> and Just randomly? It, yeah, <laughs> randomly. And it's like, I didn't, it, it's purple. It's like, I like hard pretzels. I like soft pretzels. I, it's a weird choice, but it's like, you know, it's like, that's amazing yeah, it's pretzels because you know there's a different variety of them you know you can have them, there's <laughs> condiments you can have with them it's just salty yeah,
0: sweet any way you want them
3: salty sweet chocolate covered you know you can have like <laughs> mustard or you can have like some kind of like cheese or whatever and dip them in like it, yeah. it, it, a variety and like a lot of amusement parks and places have pretzels and like sometimes that's the only fucking thing I can eat.
0: apparently, it's illegal in Philadelphia to put a pretzel in a bag, really. Yeah, if you look it up. I don't know if that, they enforce that, but it's apparently a law.
3: Uh, no, no, I mean, don't know. I mean, Philadelphia is the place where they threw batteries at Santa Claus on a fucking Eagles game. So, <laughs> uh, What's the worst sequel? A worst sequel? Oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> and I really think. Um, what is the worst sequel? I don't know. Anything? Any Friday the 13th sequel that's not four or five, I don't know. <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, okay. I,
3: no, I should have a better answer than that. I just, I really don't know. It's like...
0: There's a lot of bad ones. It's all right.
3: It's just, you know, there's just a lot of bad movies. And like, you know, a bad sequel to a bad movie, what what came first, the chicken or the egg? They're both fucking bad.
0: <laughs> What's a silly job you did when you were, you were younger?
3: I used to work as a scorekeeper on a trap shooting range. Interesting. So, for my family, was very big in the trap shooting. My grandfather was Maryland State champion at one point. And yeah. if you know what trap shooting is, they sh- throw out what they call clay pigeons. They're like orange colored or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. you throw a 12 gauge shotgun and then you yell pull and you shoot. So, my job as schoolkeeper is I had a button. <laughs> and when someone said pull, you press the button because pull came from back in the day when you used to rip tie and would and send it out. Yeah. So, say pull look a button you watch see they would shoot at it you look for any little piece that would fall off it and you mark it if they miss you put loss okay and they did they did they had five posts where they did five shots and they alternated through so there was 25 and then you did four different state you know you did it four times so like there was a hundred and usually if it was like a championship thing you would do 200 or something like that mm-hmm. so i did that for years
0: What's your uh, favorite kind of Halloween candy?
3: Oh fuck! Um, I feel like I've said oh fuck every single time. <laughs> this is um, the best.
0: The oh fuck.
3: Yeah, oh fuck! Isn't like you don't really <laughs> think think about Halloween candy. It's like um, <laughs> there, there's been some okay vegan candies I've had. Um, there's yeah. a there's a couple called unreal that has like a pretty good vegan M M&M, and M, and like they have like a kind of vegan version of a mountain or which is the one um i guess balance is the one that has coconut or whatever
0: yeah so um almond joy too
3: yeah no it's almond joy has the coconut but it also has the almonds whatever the fuck it is <laughs> um i should know this because i've probably played this commercial like 800 times in a walk in at some point yeah <laughs> it's <you> like ever... <laughs> but i i guess like if i was gonna pick like what my pre vegan favorite holiday candy was is milk duds. It was also my probably my favorite theater candy for years was milk duds even though they got stuck in my teeth.
0: Yeah, when they if they're even a little stale, I mean your teeth are just going to fall out. It's horrible. Yeah,
3: it just, I mean I had a lot of fillings from a kid and I was like I can't imagine trying to eat a fucking milk dud now. I'm probably just oh. pulling my out and my teeth would just crumble.
0: Same when I was when I was younger I was playing baseball and I had I had those caps that you have on your teeth. And oh, yeah. I, I remember biting into a baby Ruth and the, the freaking cap fell off and I was like ble- oh, bleeding in my mouth. I was like, ah, I was like
3: eight. Oh my God. See, I, I have I have, te- I have teeth trauma. Like nothing bad happened to my teeth other than like, you know, yeah. I lost my teeth really late and I had braces. So I'm, I guess I'm very yeah. pertinent. So anytime I see teeth violence or I like hit oh, my hurts. fork or something like that, i freak out. So yeah. if you want to know how to freak me out, try to do something to my teeth.
0: I actually why just. Am I sharing,
3: why am I sharing this? Do now have fuckers trying to come up to me and like? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brush your teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually have to find a dentist. I don't even have a dentist in LA, and my my last dentist that I've had my whole life won't take me anymore because they don't take the insurance I have. Oh, that's bullshit. So I'm I'm without a dentist right now. So if anybody knows, please let me know. Um, have you ever been absolutely annihilated in a mosh pit?
3: No. I mean, I, I got in mosh pits, but then like, you know, different when you're younger, but now older. If like I go to a show where anyone tries to mosh, I'm just like, I'm just going to move to the back or sit at the bar. I'm like, fuck this. I'm too old for this shit.
0: <laughs> What's a movie you absolutely loved that had a terrible ending?
3: Oh, fuck. <sighs> what is a movie that is great except for the ending? Mm, there's a lot of them. There's a lot. Why can't I think of this? What Man, you... You're like stumping me. I feel like <laughs> I was on a game show, just like
0: <laughs> trick yeah. questions.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it's a movie I like that has a terrible ending. <laughs> but, um, man, shit. I- I'm on a timer too. It's like this is rapid fire, and I'm just like dragging this out. Like, oh,
0: you're fine. You're fine.
3: Um, what is the fucking hell? I don't even know. It's
0: all right. If you can't think of one, it's not a big deal. That's... I,
3: I I honestly can't think of any. Like I'm drawing the hugest blank. I'm like Ugh.
0: just message me whenever you whenever you figure it out. Actually,
3: actually I take it back. Okay. I can answer this now because I just thought of that. Dario <laughs> Argento's opera. I think the movie's phenomenal. I hate the ending.
0: Really? I love that movie. I, I don't really remember the ending though. It's been a long time.
3: I mean, I love the movie. The end, ending just kind of feels like not great.
0: I'm due for a rewatch on that one.
3: I I think it's weird because like ninety nine percent of that movie is incredible, and then just the actual physical ending of it, just like ah, really,
0: yeah. I didn't love Dark Glasses. I thought that was very mid, but eh.
3: I, I I thought I, again what I said for like you know Crimes of the Future with Cronenberg, Dark Glasses for Argento is like hey, he's eighty he's years gone. old, yeah, he's still making a movie. It's like he's made way worse,
0: yeah, for sure. You
3: know, it's just like. The fact that it's like, you know, comparable is like, you know, it's like, I can't hold it. It's like this, the man who made Suspiria is still yeah. there, but like, yeah, not, not in the same way mm-hmm. the world changed.
0: What's the scariest movie you've ever seen?
3: Scariest movie I've ever seen. Um, trying to think of a movie that traumatized me. I, the one I can think of is the original Japanese Darkwater. Water*. Okay. Watched it when I was in film school. We, this was at the time where like a lot of like Japanese horror was getting big because of the ring and all that. We're buying <laughs> yeah. it, import DVDs. And we watched, I was in the middle of working on my film three project and I had my roommate, this guy, Jim DeHaven, this guy, Mike McIntyre, who's the star of the movie or my short film I was making. We were like working on, you know, we were rehearsing and stuff and we took a break and we decided to watch Dark Water. Mm-hmm. And it fucking terrified us. And I remember, like, Jim had a room. I had a room, and Mike was going to sleep on the couch. And we're like, all right, see you. Went to our rooms. So you could hear Jim and I locking our various bedrooms and leaving Mike out there by himself. <laughs> like, it's it, the last time I, I can think of it. It was like I was oh, fuck, I'm really scared.
0: Yeah. Pet cemetery for some reason, bothered me a lot as a kid.
3: I, it got Cause to I me. Mean, because I saw it young. Yeah, I mean, it would. Plus, like, you know, Gage is just a ruthless little fucking... Little fucker, maybe <laughs> when, when he bites into like um Herman Munster's ankle, it's yeah, just her leg or whatever he does. Or do mean, he cuts his Achilles and then he fucking bites into his like face. Yeah, that's what he does. Yeah, yeah that's fun. if you're like ten, yeah, that's gonna scar you for life.
0: I wish Mary Lambert would do more horror movies She's so good at it. Some some more crazy ones like that.
3: Yeah, I mean, she's a great director, and like you know, I. Yeah. It's weird that she should have been afforded more opportunities, but, like, obviously yeah. there's a problem with the system.
0: Yeah. It's crazy she did the sequel. It feels a little different than the first one, but I, I like that sequel.
3: I, I think it's a pretty good sequel. I, I think, like, both of those movies are good, you know.
0: All right, what's the, the funniest movie you've ever seen?
3: The funniest movie I've ever seen that I always think about and laugh about. Um, fuck. What is the funniest movie I've ever seen? I'm just gonna say joysticks because I can't think of anything else.
0: Is that fun? I haven't seen that when I want to. I love the poster.
3: Joy's I mean, you know, it's and Clark's sex comedy. It's like I don't know if it's really the funniest movie I've ever seen, but it's the only thing I can think of right now. So I'm just gonna go with that. Gotta, 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 it's not really it's not really slapsticky. I mean, it's just like it's got Joe Don Baker just fucking like chewing up scenery. There I mean, there's some genuinely laugh out loud things in that movie.
0: Yeah. I will say the last American Virgin screening, I was literally tearing up. It was so funny. Oh,
3: dude, that, that that movie's so funny, and then gets so dark, and that's what's so wonderful about it.
0: Yeah, I actually had the funniest the funniest movie experience of my entire life was at the Los Feliz during Beyond Fest, and there were actually two movies where I was like almost gonna die from laughing. The first one was Deadstream, I thought it was so funny. But wasn't like dying from laughing, but I, I was really like I was loving that movie the whole time, all the way through. And then I saw Birdemic Three. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've, I'm not kidding. I've never in my entire life laughed harder in my entire life than during that movie. I don't know what kind of mood I was in that night, but like I was ready to laugh. And I, I'm ha- gonna
3: I'm, I'm gonna say something about Birdemic Three. You know, obviously <laughs> the movie was made with a different intent, but. <laughs> watching it at home on a screener is completely different when watching it. Well, of course. Like, like the audience experience, because like, you know, people are going to come <laughs> engage with Birdemic as Birdemic. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, that that was probably one of the more rewarding Q&As I did was after that movie, because it's like yeah. I, I made a conscious choice because like, I think they had a <laughs> Q&A somewhere where like, you know, the moderator didn't take it seriously. And it's Like, you know, despite what the movie is, like, yeah. people weren't yeah. Put in an
0: I think it you was know, just they, because like, it was because the whole cast and crew was sitting like right near us and me and Mike were just dying the whole time but it, it's almost like in those like few moments in your life where you're not supposed to laugh like when you're at like a funeral and things just suddenly become funny it was I like mean, one of those situations
3: it's hard not to laugh at like a bunch of gangbangers shooting at CGI birds that were used from the first movie <laughs> yeah. like in just a <laughs> random off of like a park in like upstate Cal- like Northern California <laughs> and
0: it's like that director just loves it he's just like he's like, yeah this is my Citizen Kane
3: yeah I mean he's trying to get Oscar he's trying to get Oscar consideration for it he's he for all the theaters in order to do that
0: I love that guy <laughs>
3: but whether whether he does or not you know it's up to the system
0: well as long as they they get noticed like Terrifier 2 they, they got noticed by the Academy Twitter which is kind of shocking
3: I still haven't seen Terrifier fire too. I, you know, I don't want to speak. I was, I wasn't a fan of the first one. So
0: a lot of people weren't. And I'll say the first one definitely had some really poor pacing issues, but this, the oh. second one I thought was incredible. It was so fun.
3: And it's like two and a half hours.
0: It's long, but for some reason, like the only, the only part of the movie that I think kind of drags is the ending. It's kind of like one of those like 25, 30 minute, like ending where you're just like, okay, this could have ended like four times but The rest of the movie is just so fun like it's it's a riot
3: I I also probably going to consider that that movie's not made for me like that whole cuz I saw like yeah. the other one all Hallow's Eve which was the pre-terrifier one that also had Art the Clown and I yeah. and, and I thought the score was okay in that but I was just like it's not for me and then I watched Terrifier is like it's not for me and like I yeah. feel like I should see Terrifier too, but I also feel like I'm going to say it's not for me and that's fine yeah. I had, like I understand people are looking for a new franchise. Like they, you know, Freddie right. and Jason and Michael are now aging out, so they need a new icon kind of thing. Yeah. A lot of and people still
0: know, think Robert England's going to come back, which I don't know. I think he's a little too old.
3: He's fucking in his 80s. You want to fucking, he, he's going to 80 yeah, year right. old fucking Kruger trait. like, come back here. I yeah. Rest. You know, <laughs> it's like even Dream World Freddie, if he's 80 years old, isn't going to fucking take anyone out. Yeah.
0: I don't know if it's going to work.
3: I mean, he might fall asleep. He might need a nap. He might need a nap <laughs> to catch you. I don't know. Right, but you to... know, I, I understand like people's need to like, you know, start, you know, building new like franchises and like new horror icons. Yeah. And but at the same time, it's like that's never been my appeal for horror. So, like, you know, you know, if Arctic Clowns like the next big thing, more power to that dude to plays them in that franchise. But it's like at the same time, it's like I already mentioned like I wasn't big. You know, Friday Thirteenth fan. It's like I like how one through three, and you know, can't (laughs) really speak much of the others. And Friday Mm -hmm. in like Elm Street, I think I like the first one. I like the second one. You know, I am probably the one person in the world who's not big on three Mm -hmm. or four. I think five is kind of interesting, and I am partial to six because that was the first one I saw in the theater. Yeah, so it's Uh like franchise franchise horror is just not really me.
0: Yeah. They're all hit or miss. Um, what's your favorite horror movie score?
3: Um, I have to say it's got to be a Goblin score. I'm gonna go with um, I think it's Tenebrae. I think Tenebrae is my favorite horror score. So, Actually, I'm probably lying. I, it's either that or Halloween Three. It's it's one of those two. John
0: Saxon getting killed in broad daylight. Gotta love it.
3: That's a great kill. But that yeah, I'd one. say I'm gonna just mark a tie of like Tenebrae and um Halloween Three.
0: That's good. Uh, what's the grossest scene you've ever seen?
3: The grossest thing I ever seen. It's in um happiness.
0: I right, got a couple more. What's what screening that you've hosted sold out the quickest?
3: Um, that's a good question. I think the one that it was the first, the second bout. This the, the is after doing a year of cinematic void. I did a screening of Frankenhooker and, and Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers with um Fred Owen Ray. Uh Michelle Bauer and Dookie Fly and it's sold out in an hour. In no way. Yeah.
0: Where was this? Which the which theater?
3: It was in the Spielberg, it was in the little theater. So obviously there's like uh, okay. Plenty room. But like, you know, like I think the Egyptian I've only sold out once, and that was when I showed like a kind of beat up Jaws print.
4: Yeah.
3: That was that the end of my New England nightmares thing, and like a lot of those screens had done well, like yeah, it's like I, that's the only time I've ever sold out the Egyptian. I've still never sold out the Arrow.
0: Now I know the Egyptian was projected to reopen December. Do you, do you know anything about that? Is there any
3: like, no, it was idea? Never, it, it was never really projected for December. It's going to be the summer next year.
0: Summer, okay. Do you think think I, they're going to bring Beyond Fest back to there?
3: That's that's the plan. You know, yeah,
0: I would hope so. Arrow's cool. Like, it's just yeah.
3: I know a lot of people weren't impatient, but like you know, it's like that that theater needed a lot of work.
0: Yeah. Is it is it a lot better? Have you been in there yet?
3: I mean, it's they're still working on it. Like oh, we okay. we shot a we did a little promo for like um Christmas membership, you know, memberships for Christmas time. Like you can give the gift to the cinema by like getting American yeah. cinema. So we actually walked down, down down to the Egyptian and shot a little thing. We shot like the big like blade like neon thing that's outside. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, they're still working and it's like you can look through and like, you know, there's piles of dirt and stuff like that. I'm sure people were freaking out like, oh, but it's like, you know, it's like having worked in that theater for many years. It needed it needed help and it needed fixed and like, you know, take out whatever you feel about Netflix. They're going to bring that theater back to like its glory.
0: Yeah, I heard the new concession stands are gonna be nice, too.
3: Yeah, I mean it's you know I know that people are complaining there's gonna be no balcony and there's gonna be no Spielberg like the little theater is gonna be gone but it's like I I think overall it's probably gonna be a nicer venue.
0: Yeah, what's your uh, favorite hardcore band?
3: Favorite hardcore band probably Poison Idea. Nice. If I'm gonna go like classic era. If I go ninety like late eighties, let let's say Born Against.
0: Nice. Um, favorite horror movie poster.
3: What is my favorite horror movie poster? Um, Actually, I'm going to say the one I've always loved. It might not be the best, but it's the Dr. Busher MD one. Oh, it's great. They take, where they take Salvador Dali's head and put it on there and then put it, like the fucking like, doctor shit on it. Yeah. Like, I love that poster because not a single thing that's on that poster is in the fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something
0: cool about having all the colors against the, bat, the white background too. It just pops.
3: Yeah, like... I think it's my favorite poster. Like, But, you know, the poster I probably love the most is the, I bought it, actually, it's like a splurge early birthday gift when the lockdown was going. I bought a giant seven-foot um, Strange Vice and Mrs. Ward poster.
0: Oh, nice.
3: So, like, that thing is fucking beautiful. But, like, if I'm just thinking, like, my favorite horror movie poster, I just like that Dr. Butcher one because it's just so fucking absurd.
0: It's classic. Um,
3: best theater in L.A.? I mean, I'm gonna go to Walls Fields three. I'm biased. So good. Uh like big... <laughs> I, I mean, I know some people will debate and like a plan about stuff, but it's like honestly, I love it there. And it's like, you know, when the Egyptian reopens, I'll probably still you know, it might be an Egyptian show here and there, but it's like I I'm perfectly happy staying at Walls Fields three.
0: Yeah. No, I like that it's smaller too. It's not too small, it's not too big. It's like right in the right in the perfect middle ground. Um, what's your biggest regret?
3: Eh, I mean, you know, you can live in regret, or you can try to like make things better. You know, because like I, I kind of go into philosophy. Things happen for a reason, and something you might regret in that moment yeah. could end up not being a regret years later. Exactly. And it's something, I, it's something I've been learning like in the last few years. Like you know, it's I I mentioned lockdown a lot, and I think that fundamentally changed me in a lot of ways for you know better or worse or whatever but it's like you know you think of you know people that aren't your life anymore because of things that happen or whatever and just like i got to the point it's like i'm not gonna regret anything it's like there's something i feel like i need to do i'm just gonna do it because why live in regret even if it doesn't go how i would want it to go Mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta take that leap and just live life
0: Uh, well said exactly um what are you most proud of
3: mean, hey, what am I most proud of? I guess, like, you know, I'm, you know, it's kind of weird because it's like, I'm very dismissive of the things that I've done and achieved. But like, I guess the thing I'm most proud of is like building up January Giallo, which is like, mm-hmm. who fucking does that? You know, <laughs> like showing, you know, it, when I, I, it actually started pre like Cinematic Void when I was working with Rendezvous, and I think we did a January screens. Just call it Jan- I'm going to call it January Giallo. We just showed a movie. Mm-hmm. When I, like the first January I had an Egyptian, it's like I'm going to do this. And I just like I just I didn't know if it would be a thing or just a one off stuff. Like because like that year I did it, like I'd done Camp Void the previous year, and then I just kind of skipped over it for a couple mm-hmm. years. But then I keep doing January Giallo every year, and. I'm just proud because it just built up to this thing where like now I get to work with a bunch of my friends and programming across the country and be able to like show all these insane, wonderful, fantastic and weird fucking movies all over, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, where can your fans find you?
3: You can find me on Instagram at cinematic void one word or on Twitter, cinematic underscore void. Don't ask why, because some of <laughs> the others have had it in the beginning and now they don't. Sue so, them. <laughs> I'm not going to fuck with changing it. Also, cinematic <laughs> void is, you know, on, you know, www.cinematicvoid.com. You can also find it on YouTube. There's the podcast, which is all kinds of podcast platforms like, you know, Apple Mu- or with an Apple podcast, Spotify, and Usual yeah. Suspect.
0: What about uh, Letterbox? Is it Cinematic Void?
3: Yeah, it's Cinematic. I think it's just Cinematic yeah. Void. There might, I mean, just search it. it should yeah, come it should up. come up. I don't know if there, I don't know if there's an no underscore or not, but like I, I, you know, I started actually actively using it when I first started using Letterbox. I was just using to keep track of everything I screened and that kind of stuff. But like, this yeah. year, I actually actively, you know, I paid for like whatever not the most expensive account of like whatever the 1899 one is, I guess patron or fan or whatever the fucking call it. Yeah. watching my movies and having stats because it's just like, that's fun. It
0: is fun. I've, I've walked away from letterboxd a couple of times too. And I always come back and lately I've just been doing it nonstop. I, I love letterboxd. It's really, really cool platform.
3: You know, I, I was on a tear for a while where I was watching like a shit ton of movies like every day. And then like, I yeah. got to down, that's back up. And then it's like, wow, you watched like the changeling like, three times in a row. It's like, yeah, because I was prepping for a QA. Yeah. But it's like, you got to be honest with what you're watching. And it's like, yeah. if I stand up and I'm watching like fucking Vice Academy 2 on fucking 2B, it's like, why lie? <laughs> <Acknowledge>. Why lie? <laughs> why lie and acknowledge you watched it and give it the proper three star rating?
0: <laughs> I watched a uh, police story for the first time today.
3: Really? That's a that's 3 that's movie. That's yeah. one thing I would like to do more of coming up is like, I feel like Hong Kong movies are on the comeback. Yeah. Where like they, I don't want to say they're out of favor. Like, you know, New Beb would play a lot of like, you know, Kung Fu movies and Shaw Brothers stuff. And I guess Jackie Chan stuff. But like, I've seen like a lot of labels been dipping their toes and like, you know, the Category 3 stuff, like, which was a big deal when I was like getting into like cult movies, like things like Dr. Lamb and like um, Untold Story. And like I would love to show those movies. They're all rough as shit, but like I'd love to show those movies at some point.
0: Are you a fan of Best of the Best?
3: Dude, I, I can't remember if it's part one or part two. And I haven't watched this movie in like forever. But like I have this memory. It's the it's the ending, the ending fight. Maybe it's part one or maybe it's part two. I can't remember. James Earl Jones is the coach. And like the guy has to hit the the guy to win, but if he hits him, he'll probably kill him. Yeah. This which one do you remember? Which one this is? I've only seen the
0: first one once. Um, it's probably, I mean, it maybe is the first one. Is Sally Kirkland in it?
3: I can't remember because, like, yeah. I just remember James Earl Jones is the coach, and like, in order for the team to win, he has to hit the guy that had killed his brother or something like that. But yeah, James Earl Jones kept saying no repeatedly, and it was all slow. He's like, no, and the guy's like, getting. Yeah. Having this more dilemma if you hit the guy and the time expires and they lose, but <laughs> the guy live and then the guy is all bloody and beaten. And he's like, "I didn't mean to kill your brother." No, I did.
0: That's <laughs> I think. I think that might have been it. That might have been the first one. <laughs> um, Eric,
3: it Eric. Roberts in it? it
0: was Eric Roberts. Yeah. And the little yeah, the like, little kid Edon Gross is the kid that voiced uh, the good guy Dallin Chucky.
3: Oh shit! Sort That's, of weird. Yeah. <laughs> all cinema world but like yeah, that, yeah. that's all the best the best and that was the thing that would play HBO all the time but like all I can remember is that NC
0: yeah it's classic and,
3: um, I, and I literally talked about this like last week <laughs> of course between like what's your favorite food And this it's like wow <laughs> someone was prepping me for this podcast <laughs> Yeah. sorry but, I had I, but, some... <laughs> I, but not on things I should know like, like favorite movie with a terrible ending
0: I had had some private investigators reach out to you.
3: (laughs) It works out. Uh, But
0: but thank you so much for doing this, man. I've always been super impressed by all of your hard work and your, your work ethic and all the great screenings you managed to show for all the audiences here. So many rare titles that we never get to see and we got to thank you for it. So thank you so much for doing what you do.
3: Oh, thank you. And thank you for coming to the shows because I only get to do this as long as I have an audience. So yeah, you're going to have an audience uh, all the way to the end. Yeah, but I love what I do. And, you know, I appreciate getting feedback that people enjoy sitting through spookies.
0: Yeah, exactly. Let
1: me ruin you, Stranger said to me, your new lover, my old lover.